T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan, David Haw. In Arizona, spring training, pitchers and catchers report... Glorious day. Baseball is back. Like it or not, Sox fans. Baseball is back. I mean, we can go on and on and on, talk about it all day long. Nobody wants to go through it, but it happens. We're prepared to turn this thing around. Sox fans, I was looking at the roster. I dare you to name without looking. No Google, please. (laughs) And name more than two relief pitchers on this team. Ask me after the parade. If you can name more than two relief pitchers on this roster that they're going to count on in 2024, you are a true Sox fan. If you're not, you're still a true Sox fan, but you got some brushing up to do. It's going to be the one of those kind of seasons. The bullpen will be brought to you by Google. He better stay out of our business. He better stay out of White Sox business. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw, 5.30 till 10 a.m. on 6.70 The Score. Hey, guys, let's do your old time, but I don't think you even follow baseball, David. Let's go. Mullion Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 to score. Good Thursday morning. Gabe Ramirez is in for Mully. Yo. How you doing, Gabe? Hanging in there, up early, feeling good. Coffee's tasting great. Shout out to the intern. I'm excited now. The I got energy. Delivered. He did. The, the intern had your coffee order locked down in the memory and didn't even have to ask. It means you've been here a lot in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you're really demanding. Which is a good thing. Both. You are kind of demanding. Both. Both. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You come in here in your socks jacket. Yeah. All Dustin, ready to roll. Dustin Rhodes and uh, Brandon Fryer, you know, they lay out everything for me the way I like. It's great. I appreciate it. They hate doing it, but they they, they do it for me. And I you already it. violated protocol. You've been here five minutes. You violated protocol walking in just in a socks jacket audaciously. Well, you know, I, I, I was listening yesterday and I heard you talking about people not knowing about who, who the <laughs> relief pitchers were. So I wanted to, you know, let you let you know that there were actually fans out here still. I can't wait. We have it until 10 o'clock, and you're going to be able to, to let us know just how knowledgeable you are about the Sox, even though you couldn't name three relievers. I got the uh, depth chart pulled up on my <laughs> You do, see? I said no Google. There would be no Google. Uh, we will talk about the White Sox reporting to Glendale the first day. Pedro Gafault spoke again. Had some very interesting things to say. The Cubs held court in Mesa. Craig Council and Jed Hoyer spoke to the Cubs beat We've got the Bulls to discuss. Kobe White missed a jumper, a long jumper uh, at the buzzer, and the Bulls go down, blow a lead to the Cleveland Cavaliers, a very good basketball team. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell, very good player. He, the way, What he did in the third quarter yesterday was impressive. It was very impressive, and he's had an MVP caliber season. He's in the conversation, and I think that when they talked about that, it, you see why, because he means so much to that team. But, Gabe, we've got to start – 
with a story that nobody wants to talk about, but you really can't ignore. Because you even hear it's become such a part of the lexicon in sports. Call me after the parade. Can't wait for the parade. I'll see you at the parade, Kansas City. That was after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl on Sunday. And then yesterday, a civic celebration that we have become so used to watching and enjoying turns tragic because of more senseless gun violence. And one person is dead. At least 22 are injured. And three people are in custody. Don't know much about the motive. What motive could there be? And again, it's just you see the reports. You're transfixed by the reaction. And it's just so disappointing. It could be scary. Whatever you feel, it's not good. And you shouldn't, it shouldn't be like this. this. There's too many times that this has happened, that we've become numb to it. It happened without a death, but the last time, I don't want to say that the last time. I don't remember, what the, I don't remember the baseball celebration parade, but the basketball parade in Denver in June, there was gunfire at the end of that rally. There was gunfire at the end of yesterday's rally, and it resulted in the death of one woman that we know of, a disc jockey locally in Kansas City, and 22 people injured. 11 of them, I believe, are between the ages of 6 and 15. You're talking about kids probably wearing Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes jerseys, kids who went to a parade and ended up in the hospital, and now somebody's planning a funeral. Should not be that way. You can be sad or you can be ticked off because it happens way too often and we become almost numb to it, and we can't let that happen. It's it's sad because a Super Bowl parade or parade in itself is supposed to be a moment of joy, of celebration, of unity, where a, uh, a city gets to celebrate their team that has gone on to have, have success. And I think when you're thinking about these large gatherings, you know, even here in Chicago, when we, I remember being on Randolph for the Blackhawks parade. Those moments are ones where everyone's a friend. The person next to you, you feel no ill will. If something happens, hey man, no big deal. You stepped on my shoes, it's all good. Blackhawks won the world. Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. That's what it should be. Not a care in the world. Not a care in the world. And it's unfortunate when when these things happen. And I think, I think when you go to the, you know, obviously you can't necessarily speak to the to cause or anything like that, but you can t- try to put yourself in the, the frame of mind of the individual who began it or who was in it, and and you kind of. Try to look at the the identity of America in the present, where it's very one, it's very much so one of of you know bravado and you know lack of shame, where, where that doesn't exist, where people are out to then one up each other, and I think you know that's really to me, if you were to go look, probably I would assume that would be the case of this, and it's unfortunate because. You're right, it is happening at large gatherings where there should be celebration as opposed to tears. Sports are supposed to be an escape, and we are going to give you that outlet here until 10 o'clock. We're not going to dwell on this. We are going to talk to Alex Gold, who we got to know very well. Last couple of years, he's been our Super Bowl reporter on the scene because he covers the Chiefs for 610 Sports in Kansas City. He's going to join us at 845 with an eyewitness reporter, just kind of boots on the ground, if you will, but you go to sporting events and you don't want to have to worry about these things. You go there for the escape, not to be on alert. And I think when you talk about not having a care in the world, 
what better place to do that than at a parade where you're celebrating the culmination of something special, where you're creating memories for your kids. Everyone who goes to the parade, if you're a parent, you bring your kids. I can have I'd have fond memories of the Blackhawks parades, all three of them, where I brought my son, who was a hockey guy, a hockey kid. And I'm sure people out there have memories of the White Sox parade in 2005, the Cubs parade in 2016, whatever the case may be. You don't go there and you don't want to have to worry about the things that the next time there is a parade, you're inevitably going to worry about because this is the state of America in 2024 and you just can't take anything for granted. And I think the other thing too, David, is when you're looking at the violence as a whole, you know, here in Chicago, let's be very real, right? A large number of us turn a blind eye to the violence in the city. Why? Because it happens so often. And then if you multiply that out on a national level, that is what's happening in real time where we as a nation are now turning a blind eye to any violence because why? It's not affecting us directly. And that's the issue here in Chicago, and it's the issue nationally. I think you're exactly right. So we want to, throughout the course of the program, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I do want to know, I think at one point when we opened the phone lines, how people would feel if... Heck, if the, if the Chicago sports team ever wins a can we, can, we, can we do the White Sox since it's exactly. so I, far away for everybody? Hypothetically, can we right. just say the White Sox? I think I want to know how people would feel if they were given that opportunity to go to a parade to celebrate their team winning a title and what they would feel in the context of Wednesday in Kansas City, last June in Denver. Uh, whatever the case may be, whatever the reference point is, how they might react to that opportunity, or would they change their minds? Now, we don't want to be fear mongers. Uh, I'm glad you know, I had a, a question. We talked about it before the show, and you checked me and said, we don't want to create this sense of panic or anxiety if it doesn't exist, and I don't want to do that. But I do think it's a worthy conversation to have to get people's opinions at some point in time about how they might change their thinking about everybody loves a parade, yeah. right? Everybody wants to celebrate that title, but now – does it give you pause if you were in that situation to be able to go out and do that in your city? I think Dustin Rhodes said it you know, best, which is, you know, i probably go because it's my team, but I wouldn't take my kids. And as a father of two little ones, when he said that, immediately I thought to myself, yeah, no way right. am I taking my kids. I'm, I don't mind. Right. I can run fast. I can, you know, try to get out of harm's way. But my children, no, they, well, there they, they wouldn't be there. Well, there are reports of, you know, heroic reports of what happened yesterday and also very real Eyewitness accounts of professional football players, big men running like children, no, for their lives, trying to escape gunfire that they don't know if it exists or not. So you've got this image of uh, players on the stage and, and being told to basically get out of harm's way and then doing whatever they can, scurrying to do just that. You had the heroic example of... One of the gunmen, alleged, one of the alleged gunmen, being tackled by a bystander. And this was an eyewitness account from Kansas City, one of the stations in the city, about how that went down. One guy was hollering, saying, you know, stop him, or catch him, you know, tackle him, whatever. And he's just, just bailing, running. And out of nowhere, I heard that guy hollering, so I'm just like, okay, well... I'm right here, and I just, I didn't even think about it. It was just a reaction. I didn't hesitate. It was just, just do it. 
So I went to go tackle him and another gentleman did the same thing. And as I'm tackling him, I see his weapon either fall out of his hand or out of his sleeve because he was wearing a long jacket or like a Carhartt. So when I seen that hit the ground, I'm like, oh, you know, we got to take this guy down. And so, like I said, I did and another good Samaritan did and we held him down. And it seemed like forever, but it probably wasn't. It was like 30 seconds holding him down and me and the other gentleman are hollering at ongoers, you know, where's the cops? Where's, you know, get the cops over here, get the cops over here. You know, we got them. Remarkable account. Unreal. And remarkable instinct to do what he did, what others did. I saw the video and the footage of that, and you wonder how you would react in that situation when you see things like that. It's, in, it's inevitable. Two o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon outside a train station, you just think that this is not somewhere at that time, sometime, when that's going to happen. And yet it did, and that's the way that innocent bystanders reacted to the situation. That's, that, that's heroic. Yeah, when you have the you know, freeze, fight, or flight instinct that kicks in, and in his, in his mind, that's what, what he needed to do. I don't know if uh, many of us would have been you know, that brave, but, I mean, gosh, you can't even put yourself in that situation right, where you're that close to something happening. Difficult story to talk about, difficult grief to process, certainly for people who are Kansas City Chief fans in that city. We've heard a few of them from a few of them on our text line who are regular listeners. I'm sure we'll hear from a few later maybe if they want to open the phone lines when we do that and take, uh, take calls about the, the tragedy. And that is that, one dead, 22 injured, as many as 22 in the, the shooting, and three men are, or three people are in custody, motive unknown so far. All right, so we'll move on to sports because then last night the Bulls, they go into Cleveland, and it's the last game in a week. Yeah. The Bulls don't have a week off. Thank you. Everybody everybody on the team has a week off. Everybody in the city, every <laughs> Bulls fan yeah. gets a week off for watching it. that. I need it. Because it is frustrating. You know what's frustrating? If they were just terrible, you could maybe even find an easier path to acceptance, I think. I was thinking about this last night. <laughs> When you watch the Bulls, you can't turn them off because you think that, okay, they're up 17. I'm going to watch this because they're going to beat the second-best team in the East. Boy, they can be good on any given night. And then, Gabe, they start to blow the lead, and you're like, i got to watch this. I want to see, are they going to really blow a 17-point lead again? If they were terrible, you wouldn't even watch this. Yeah. You would know. But now they're good enough, they're dangerous enough to disappoint you. And I think they play, like you mentioned a second ago, they play really good teams well. You know, we're looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers, and they have a really good team. Yes, they do. I mean, the Bulls look at them as some sort of test of how, where are we at in our growth as an organization, as a squad? Can we beat the best teams in the Central? And this is one of those games that points that out. I mean, the Bulls, you know, it, it, I think what's remarkable, we got to tip your cap to Billy Donovan, right? So much change, you know, over the course of this season specifically, and trying to just create something. And now with the new lineup, with you know, injecting Andre Drummond in there, Torrey Craig's came back from injury. You got Kobe White taking on a big lead. You got to play the two young guys. Trying to find out what that rotation looks like. DeMar DeRozan's now that. Kobe White, that, like it, he's doing a good job of it. And I think guys have, have, like, have accepted the challenge. But it's just try hard. And we're so used to that in Chicago. It's a try hard team. And, and, and that, to me, is just like, that's did, why you watch. You, you like just, try hard teams. You just described every team coached by Tom Thibodeau. Yes. In Chicago. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's going back a decade or more. It's what we're watching. Kobe White, 40 minutes, leading the league in minutes played. It's what we're watching. Kobe White 
has really emerged as an all-star caliber guard. Last night was an example of that. When he traded baskets with Garland mm. down the stretch, pointers. Garland hits the three, and the defense is pretty good. But he just says, "Okay, this is this is my night. I'm feeling better." Boo! He was he was feeling it. He hits the three, comes down. Kobe White. They double Demar. They get the ball to to Kobe White. Boom! He buries the three. You're like, "Oh, this is good. <laughs> this is. I'm glad I'm watching." Tied with a minute left, and then down the stretch, this is what Kobe White talked about after the game. There was an opportunity. He was, he was really he, – he took the ball. They played the shot, so he took the ball to the basket. He drew, uh, he, he drew the defender. Vooch, he thought, was going to go out to three-point land. Vooch makes the right read and goes to the rim. He would have had a layup if the pass would have been better. It wasn't. Kobe White put too much on it. It was a turnover. You can't have a turnover in the final minute like that. This is how Kobe White described it postgame. Just slow down. I was sped up in the moment. If I think I slow down, I can make the right read. I thought Vooch was going to pop to the three. But he made the right play while coming in because I had took on Mobley. I knew he was going to be hard to finish over him. So I think if I just if I put the pass on the money, he got a layup or he got one of his little floaters, that'd be automatic. So I feel like in those moments, I just had to slow down a little bit more and just make the right read. I think I, I, my intentions was right, finding Vooch. He was open because I took Garland and I took DG and Mobley. I just got to make the pass. I got to slow down. I feel like I was too frantic. I, I got to disagree with, with Kobe White in that sense. I understand what he's saying. He's saying it as a good teammate. Hey, man, I made the wrong decision. I should not have done that. The issue is he didn't talk about, you know, the two passes before that where he had an opportunity to shoot a three and could have and then rotated the ball, got it back. Then he drove to the rim and made that. Vooch play. could have shot a three there too. <laughs> but I, I, he I had wish, an open look. But that, but I wish Kobe would have just been more aggressive or st- st- stood in that frame of mind, like, "Hey, I got the ball. I shoot. This is what I do." I, Vooch thought he was going to do it, but it was the right basketball play. Two passes later, in that position, yeah. it was the right play. But two passes before, I wish Kobe would have shot the ball. <sighs> I don't know if I agree with that because I think that, like, when I was watching, I thought that Vooch had an open look too. He could have taken the shot and yeah. got it to Kobe White because I felt like. But why did he okay, get it to Kobe White? Because he was hot. He was feeling That's it. That's my point. So you got to shoot the ball. That's my point. I know, but. Vooch, Vooch, Vooch conceded to you. I think that's 2020. Hindsight is 2020. He took the he took the ball to the basket. He drew the defender. He made the right read a bad pass. So you're, you're, you're you had a layup. It, but you're describing it as if there were 14 seconds on the shot clock. Kobe got, to get the white, got the ball at the top of the key, lets it drive down, then drives to the rim and kicks it out. But that was not what happened. All right. I hear what you're saying, though. He made the right play in that moment. I am. We are both. We we both uh, are agree to. We both have good points, but they're just separate. points. Fifteenth turnover, though, we can that both hurt. agree that twenty points off turnovers as the Cavs scored. You're not going to win many games on the road against a good team like the Cavs, like that. And played a good defensive game. You know, Mobley with just fourteen, Jared Allen with thirteen. I mean, kept them off the boards. He only had ten. I mean, it was a good defensive game. Again, there's just that that's what happens when you have a superstar that can take over and dominate the way that Donovan Mitchell did last night and getting guys involved. Donovan Mitchell's very good. The Cavs are the second best team. The Celtics win by fifty last night. You Under, see that? Yeah. Go into the all star break. I think Brad Stevens knows what he's doing. I when, think, <laughs> I think, I think he it was knows, a good idea to put him in the front I, office. I think he knows what did, what he's doing when he's putting together a roster that he thinks can be championship caliber. All of us looked at the Celtics last year, I think, disappointed in the way their season ended because of what they were capable of. Yeah. And then what do they do? They don't run it back. They don't embrace the status quo. Even though they were as good as they were, they shake things up. 
and they're even better. Getting a guy like Chris Apps, you know, getting some some pieces that they did, just unreal when you're thinking about that team. But I mean, how often do they do teams talk about you know poor coaching or young coaching or got to get the best guy? And for Brad Stevens to go just say, "Hey, Joe Mazzula, I know you were just on the bench right there, and you're 21." I can't believe he's as good of a coach <laughs> as he my, is now. That's what I'm saying. That like, guy couldn't. That kid was deer in headlights last <laughs> year in the playoffs. Even when he like when they show him talking on the sidelines like to his team, and you're just like, this guy like sounds like me. Does he That's have the... Brad Stevens in his ear? Yeah, yeah in an earpiece. Call a timeout now, Joe. Oh. It's time. It's time to sub in now. Joe. A la Roxanne. So yesterday was also the first full day of spring training for the Cubs and the White Sox pitchers and catchers. We heard from Craig Council. We heard from Jed Hoyer. We'll get into some of that sound later. We have Bruce Levine joining us at seven forty-five to recap that day. I thought I. Th- Thought it was very uh, predictable the questions that Jed was asked about Cody Bellinger because everybody wants to know about Cody Bellinger. I still think it's going to be a while before people are used to seeing Craig Council and Cubby Blue. That was a weird look, <laughs> and yet I think people are thrilled that he is, of course, in a Cub uniform. But it still looks a little bit different, doesn't it? What percentage of the fan base is sad that uh, Rossi isn't here? Five. <laughs> Just just dusted five percent. I mean, come on, that that's a tough that's a tough tough reality. five percent. That's low. Twenty sixteen was a long time ago. I'm just saying, five percent is low. I know it is. Everybody is so happy about the Cubs last year. He's the smartest manager in baseball. (laughs) I mean, why wouldn't you want to get an upgrade? Almost in the almost in the playoffs. Okay, maybe seven. Okay, thank you. That's that's what I was really hoping for. Eight four seven DH. Do you still think that Celtics coach is no good? I still kind of do. I mean, you said that he was no good last year. Oh. I was all over him. Good memory, eight four seven. All right, Sox camp. Boy, we're gonna get into this. Pedro Gafol. Yeah. Uh, first day, he was kind of chesty. I have earned the right to be here. Yesterday, he pulled out <laughs> the three most familiar words for a coach that feels disrespected. Why not us? Why not us? Right. Why not us, Pedro? I did. I was surprised he went there. I think he struggles with likability. <laughs> what, what do you mean? I mean, I, I just, I want to listen to a press conference that's, and be like. That's the most polite way of saying that. <laughs> you don't want to hear likeability. anything he has to say. <laughs> just, I'm just, I, when I hear him, I just, I just, I want a honey, likable coach. Honey, you struggle with likability. <laughs> it's not you, it's me. It's not me, it's you. Honey, you struggle with yeah. likability. That's great. That's a way to not get in an argument. By <laughs> that the way. is. Um, but I, yeah, I just feel like when I when I I just hear so many coaches around the league, I think about like a guy like Mike McDaniel. Right? Not, not that I want a Mike McDaniel coaching the White Sox, but I'm just saying how he makes you feel. You just you feel good, you smile, you feel like, all right, it's an upbeat clubhouse kind of a thing. And then you hear Pedro Grafol talk, and I really want to like the guy. I really do. But like you hear him and you're just like, oh my God. If I was a player, I probably it'd probably be just wallpaper. I'd, it'd, and in yet, one year out the other. And yet, I understand what you're saying. If he was coming off a season where he won 95 games, you'd find him highly likable. You'd find him very congenial, <laughs> and you would like <laughs> yes. you would like everything he had to say. Yes, yes. See, but, but he's not, but he's not. I know so he's I not. Get to, I get to poo poo on him. And so tonight, um, we'll we'll talk more about the Sox throughout the show, obviously because. Gabe wore a Sox coat into the <laughs> studio, so we're talking White it's Sox cold today. Outside. You see this? Sid the kids in town tonight. Hawks hosting the Penguins. That's a big deal. Huge deal. I'm very disappointed. I didn't realize that they were hosting the Penguins until last night. Would and you have like, gone if you'd known earlier? Oh, my son's a huge 
Hawks fan, but he also likes the Penguins, and I think that matchup would have been enough to compel me to think about it. Mm. Yes. I think I would have thought about it. I mean, how, how often do you get the opportunity? I, well, I mean, I still, I, I'm one of these guys that still likes going to hockey games, even well, though they're bad. I'm talking about with Sid the Kid and the Bedard I know, there. you're not going to be able to see him very long. Yeah. And it's a shame that he's not being able to go against Bedard, yeah. the, the kid who grew up idolizing Sidney Crosby, modeling his game and his career after him, and probably the last guy coming into the league that had this kind of buzz about him the way Bedard did. So Hawks and the Penguins tonight at the United Center. And, hey, how about last night? Not going to mention DePaul losing 101 to 65 to the number one team in the country, but UConn was in town. But Loyola, how about Loyola in the Atlantic 10? Tied for first place now, 10 and 2 in the conference. They beat St. Joe 64 to 59. The Ramblers are back to being relevant. They should. I feel like they're that team that is always good, and you just have to. But their like deviation is just so small, so they they could be like a bad good team, or they could be a good good team. You just don't know until tournament time. March right around the corner, two weeks away, so. I think they're peaking at the right time. All right, we've got a big show. We've got Bruce Levine, 745. Will Purdue at 825. Alex Gold from Kansas City at 845. And Stacey Dales, back from the Super Bowl in Vegas. She'll join us at 9. Gabe Ramirez is in for Mully. It's Mully and Haw. The pick six is next on Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 the score. It's pick six with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick six with Mully and Haw starts now. Craig Council welcomed Cubs pitchers and catchers to camp on Wednesday by vowing to be direct with his players. You should have some anxiety. Like if you're not, I think you're probably over it. If you don't have the anxiety, right? Like you're so. Um, of course, you have some of it, but it's the good. It, there's the good kind and the bad kind. So if, if that makes sense, and I think it's the good stuff. Um, I I think I'm. I like being nervous in the dugout. Like I I think like. That's when you're locked in, if that makes sense. You know, like there's there's a little you should be on a on edge to get that's you need to be on edge to get locked in, I think. Maybe that's how I do it, I guess, but I, I think that's how the right way to that's for me, that's how it works for me. We just heard counsel admitting to having a little anxiety but being locked in. What was your overall impression of counsel's first official day in a Cubs uniform? The more he talks, the more you want to hear. He definitely has something to say. What I like about Craig Council is what I think I've said before in a very small sample size. He only got hired in November. I don't think that we're quite used to seeing him in a Cub uniform yet. I think we're going to have an adjustment phase, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But Craig Council will change the Cubs more than the Cubs will change Craig Council. You hope? (laughs) Well, yes, because I don't want him to change anything about his approach. I'd like to hear him say about spring training to remind everybody out there who might be uh, anticipating a a panic attack after five straight losses to the Brewers split squad or whatever the case may be. Results don't matter in, in March or February or whenever they start to play the games. They don't matter. They don't matter if you throw a, a, a dead fastball and it gets hit 450 feet because of the air in Arizona. It doesn't matter if Jamison Tyone stinks in spring training or Justin Steele doesn't look like the ace that we know he can be, Brandon. It doesn't matter if 
Dansby Swanson is 0 for 26. Results don't matter. Craig Council is going to be the consummate professional and the guy who's going to be direct. You know what else is going to be refreshing? That if somebody's making an error, I think he's going to be hold the guy accountable and not going to be talking around things (laughs) post-game. There's not going to be a lot of gotcha with Craig Council and good. I don't think he needs that. He's a confident guy. I loved hearing him talk about the bullpen and his approach to that. We'll hear some of that later. But overall, the first impression was as good as I had hoped it would be. Very encouraging. I've come around. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. I, I've definitely come around. It's still, uh, I saw some stuff on social media yesterday from uh, people north of the Cheddar Curtain saying it's, <laughs> it's hard to see him in that cubby blue. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take, uh, it's still going to take a little bit of time. And, and yesterday was really the first day that you yeah. saw him in the cubby blue, in right? Right. Yeah. In uniform, in the, in the, in the pajama bottoms and uh, in the pullover, <laughs> as some would like to say. But a um, couple of things. I'll agree with the pitching, David, that, they're working on things, so you don't really know what they're working on. But if Dansby Swanson's 0 for 36, that's a problem. Okay. First of all, that's way too many at bats in spring was it training. Last year. Yes, it was. He didn't start like it, 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 it. He wasn't just it. You're not just on the end of March when they're down in Arlington, all of a sudden you're not going to just boom. All of a sudden I learned how to hit. So <laughs> what are you working on to go 0 for 36? Because there's not going to be a lot of bunting, sometimes situationally, but there's not going to be a lot of bunting, which is probably 10% of the reason why David Ross isn't here anymore. The other thing that bothered me, and this is not just from Craig, but overall, oh, the young guys we have, we're youthful, we are youthful, <laughs> so cool to see the young guys develop, youthful, youthful, youthful. Uh, you, you, you'd still, you wouldn't be woke up this morning if you took a drink every time you heard about the youth and took a shot yesterday out at Cubs camp. They're supposed to apologize for having seven of the top 100 prospects in baseball. No, they're trying to cover the yeah, rear exactly. ends. They're trying to cover the rear ends about the, the where, where the where the lack of power and offense is going to come from this lineup. Right now. again, we had this conversation yesterday. I'm sorry, Gabe. No, that's David's, okay. David's pushing the buttons here at uh, 605, 606 mark. I get it. You know, so. Mickey, it, it, who's the third baseman on Sunday? The DH is who? I mean, this, this, is this lineup is... Wait, 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 I got to be honest, this, this is great because the season hasn't even started. Preseason hasn't even started yet, spring training, and Dustin is on who, one, and who, I love who, it. Who, who's, who are the Cubs playing Sunday? If. 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 That's great. Uh, I will say this. One, um, it's going to be interesting to see Cody Bellinger wearing a different jersey other than a Cubs one uh, start at the start of a season. That's going to be wild. Um, <laughs> I do want to say uh, a little RIP to Craig Council's mom, Jeanette Council, who passed away last week, uh, February 8th. Um, so I just want to say that, start off with that uh, note. Um, but Craig Council, you know, overall impressions, first day in, in uniform. I mean, listen, what was the last good coach Chicago had? Like, like you know. One that's like bona fide, like, hey, this is a guy that's there. Best in the league. But I mean, I can't say that Craig Council. I mean, best one in the of the that's best some, considered one of the best. There, I Joe Quenville. Okay, quite some time since yes. that's been the case. Yes. So I think him being here, I would love for it to to set the tone and the standard for what coaching should look like in the city of Chicago yeah. from years to, for years to come. So hopefully he he lives up to all the hype and he does bring what he's supposed to bring to the city. But of course, it's great to see him here. 
You want to see. Listen, the same way where the White Sox had an opportunity to shake things up and didn't, and we are stuck watching what it is they have we have in front of us, uh, I think the Cubs on the other side, you're excited to see what a guy like Craig Council can do for that team. Can I ask you guys a question? Absolutely, and we'll have a ton of questions to ask Stacey Dales coming up at 9 this morning. The Cook County Board of Review told the Bears on Wednesday that it has decided to leave the Arlington Heights property value at $192 million, which would quintuple its tax bill. That means there remains about a $100 million gap between the Bears and the school district on the value of the 326 acres of the land. The deadline for accepting a settlement is Saturday. What does this mean for the stadium project? I love this. This is a really awesome soap opera, telenovela, that I'm watching closely because my favorite thing in life, especially living in Chicago, is when gentrifiers get gentrified. It is my favorite thing. So it's like in Logan Square, you lived there 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you were the first gentrifiers, and now all of a sudden Logan Square is too expensive, and you hate it because you got to move because the new gentrifiers came in. It's my favorite thing, right? So in Arlington Heights, it's no different, right, where the Bears are trying to come in and gentrifiers and heights, you know, quote unquote, and the gentrifiers that are there are like, no, this is new land. It's more expensive. This is what it is. And people are pissed about it. And I love it. It's like, no, you got to pay. This is what's going on here. So what does it mean to the stadium project? Nothing. They're still playing the game. The chess pieces are still happening. But the underlying story is just my favorite. It's one of my favorites in the city. Well, I guess my question is, what is the deadline? What is that? Like, they have to pay the tax bill by Saturday? I, I mean, what exactly is the deadline? What does the deadline mean? I think that they, because the Bears, didn't they appeal it? Is it's that a, what it it's was? It's a good question, though. But because what, it's, I think it's, I, I don't know the answer to like that. Like, you have to decide that you're going to put it, the shovel it, in the ground on Saturday? It's part of the negotiation. It's a ploy, right? It, it's another ploy. I just want to know what, right. when we say there's a deadline, what exactly is the deadline? It, so... And we heard Kevin Warren with Jared Payton, part of the cuts that we played. You know, Arlington is still a really nice piece of property. And if it's not developed into mm-hmm. the next Soldier Field, it'll be developed into something. It's not just going to sit there vacant. It's right off the highway. It's on a huge corner. It's a huge plot of land. Like, the Bears could still – the Bears might end up making more money off of it they're not going to cutting it up. They're not, they don't want to flip that. They're not flippers. But again, remember, and I think this is the big thing with this project. This project was started by whom? Ted Phillips. Mm. And then Ted Phillips was removed from that project and Kevin Warren was brought in. Kevin Warren didn't buy or suggest Arlington. That's what's interesting about this is because this was a very good story, thoroughly reported by NBC5, and it was on the 6 o'clock news and what it does is it just underscores how much back and forth there remains. There's going to be a lot of back and forth. The rhetoric will escalate. The leverage plays have already been in place. The pivoting to the south lot of Soldier Field, <laughs> the Cranes business report two weeks ago, not accidental. Kevin Warren telling anyone who will listen how much he loves the city of Chicago – not accidental. So this is all very calculated, I think, and or at least thought out ahead of time. And it does I, – I do wonder what that Saturday deadline means. I don't think the Bears are going to buckle. I don't think they want to pay 
that much. You heard Kevin Warren talking about being fiscally responsible, and that's why there's going to be a dome rather than a retractable roof. They're going to try to save every dollar they can in this project. I still think it will end up being Arlington Heights, but I think it's we're a ways away from there, further away than I thought we would be. Also keep an eye on this. There's that little clause in the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority uh, the, about what you can do in terms of the way you structure your your the bonds, and it was included in the 2021 uh, legislature and the law that exists. The Sox and the Bears both probably could qualify for that if they get things done mm. by the end of this calendar year. Is it a race to see who gets the stadium project planned and announced first? Is Jerry Reinsdorf and Kevin Warren in a virtual sprint to the finish to see how they can maybe get to their plot of land and put the first shovel to the ground or at least sign a document. Wait and see. Good old Chicago drama. This is just more of it. And that's the big question. And that's a big man, but Will Purdue, and he's going to be joining us this morning at 825 as he uh, jettisons off for the uh, All-Star break. The Bulls are now off for their All-Star break until next Thursday. You'll hear that game right here on the score against the Celtics. Celtics coming to town, giving their entire roster a week off since no Bulls are involved in the All-Star festivities. Boo. What's the word to describe the Bulls at this point, and what player has been the biggest surprise, good or bad? I think the surprise, first of all, has got to be Kobe White. I think that's an obvious answer, although I was going to go, I feel badly about feeling this way. (laughs) But Patrick Williams, we're still waiting. It's All-Star break 2024. We're still waiting. I know he was injured, and he hasn't played since January, and really had a very good month of December. And he was starting to come into his own. So I want to give him a break and some grace, and maybe he is and would have continued to develop at a rate. And having him and Kobe develop at the same rate would have been a lot of fun. Kobe White's a no-brainer answer there. The word for me... In this first 50-some games or whatever they are, 26 and 29, 55 games, flummoxing. They're, they have flummoxed me. Flummox? Flummox. Dude. Yes, look it up. Thank you, game. I am. Trust me. I am flummoxing. Okay. Did you ever use that in Scrabble, David? Yes. He's never used it in life. I have too. <laughs> I'm flummoxed. I'm flummoxed by the use of flummoxed. I think I used it right, I'm gonna, actually. I'm, I'm they gonna, are confusing I'm, me. I'm I can't even spell, I can't even spell good, it to find out what it are means. Are they bad? I, why am I watching this game? They stink, but I want to watch anyway. They're entertaining. They're an entertaining bad basketball team. They don't stink as bad as they used to. It used to, and I've told the story, I used to have to put the remote by the TV and then go to the couch and put my feet up so that I actually had to get up off the couch if I wanted to stop watching them and put on a cooking show or a DIY (laughs) network show. Because it was a form of punishment at one point to watch the Chicago Bull. But maddening, is that a good word? Yes. Maddening. Last night, 17-point lead against a team that is better than you. Against a team that is better than you, no doubt about it. But then at halftime, their all-star, their all-world player decides to wake up Size of play is is every guy on that team except for Donovan Mitchell six foot ten. I mean, they are so like. they are so long yeah. and, and so athletic and so good. 
like they're a real threat in the East. They, they, they are they are they are a a really really good team. I, I'd love to see them and the Celtics playing a handful of games. All those turnovers. What's with all the turnovers? Yeah. And would Lonzo Ball make a difference in the turnover situation? Please no. <laughs> Please no. But Kobe White is. You were banned. Kobe White Bulls. is the. Uh, that, that's fine. I, I'm happy. I'm going to miss a couple of days coming up here. Um, but Kobe White definitely the uh, the uh, nice uh, year so far. All right, you guys went the the, the good route. Uh, I'll take a I'll take a bad player. I know you, you're trying to be nice to Patrick Williams, but I, I'll I'll take another one. Um, but the word that I have is despondent. Yes. In low spirits from loss of hope or courage, and I think that's exactly where I'm at when it comes to this Bulls team, where you watch it just in low spirits and it doesn't matter. Uh, but the player that I'm most disappointed in, I don't want to give any love to anybody. We know who that is, Kobe. Uh, but it's Javon Carter. I look at a guy like Javon Carter who over the years, you know, and, and I understand it, right? You're from Oak Park. I live in Oak Park now. Shout out Javon Carter. Uh, and so you wanted to play well against the Bulls, so you would have all these great games, but you made us think here in the city that you were actually about that life and could hit the three ball consistently. And if I can just get like seven or eight percentage points higher from a guy like Javon Carter, then I'd feel much better. But five points, 0.8 rebounds, and 1.2 assists a game, uh, not shooting particularly well from the three-point line, and that's what the Bulls got him here for. So he can shoot the three. He has no problem putting it up. The problem is actually going down, and that's my issue with Javon Carter. How about that three-pointer last night, that three-point attempt off the steel? Dude. Where he airballed air You talking it? about the airball? I mean, literally, Billy Donovan should have been 50 feet out onto the court with a timeout, and he should never see Dude. the game It was like a one-on-four break. He pulled it like he that pulls was that. up, and then he airballs it. I mean, you want to talk about Can't a f- – you want to get away a Southwest <laughs> Airlines commercial <laughs> moment? That was so bad. He laughed, too. I think I could have at least hit the backboard. <laughs> that was so bad. I'm just answering your question. Oh, you can tell I watched the game last <laughs> night. Acknowledging that he thought he'd be traded in the offseason. Here's Dylan Cease yesterday. You can only focus on so much, I guess, and the more you can focus on what really matters, I think that's what's important. Either way, I'm, I'm grateful to be a Major League Baseball player, so whether I'm here or somewhere else, I'm going to try to make the most of the opportunity, and you know, that's all that really matters. So you heard Dylan Cease there. How do you think this will affect his focus as he's going to get the ball and be the day one starter for last, more White Sox? Last stat I'll say is Javon Carter last year shot 42% from the three-point line. He's shooting 33%. On the three-point line this year. Um, Dylan Cease, I mean, will it affect his focus? I, I don't think it'll affect him at all. I think when I think about Dylan Cease, he's neither high nor low, regardless of the outcome or the previous outing. And so I very much, like when I hear that statement, and I'm very happy to be a Major League Baseball player, sounds very much like Alex Caruso talking to the media. Hey, I am an employee of the Chicago Bulls, and I am paid to come to work every day. And I think that's what Dylan Cease who Dylan Cease is at his core. And I don't know if if he goes to some contender, then all of a sudden he becomes this smiley guy who's, you know, just, you know, outgoing and becoming this new person. I still think he's going to be Dylan Cease. So I think the best thing that the White Sox can hope for is that he is the opening day starter, that he is solely focused on himself and not distracted by the team. And he pitches well, well enough to bring back more than he would have or, or maybe the – the the haul that the White Sox were looking to get in the offseason, maybe he can get that, you know, come midseason if he pitches well. And I think that's what the White Sox are hoping that he does. 
Boy, it's one day of pitchers and catchers, and I've already got Dylan Cease fatigue over, you know, is he, should he have stayed? Should he have gone? Your conversations with Getz, are you going to be, you know, is he going to, I didn't, I didn't see the video. Is he got the Mario Brothers mustache going? What's he, what's he got going facial hair wise? Right. It just, I mean, just take the ball and get people out. (laughs) He's the ace of the staff. You're going to hear a lot from Dylan Cease. He will be your opening day starter. I think he's handled things like a pro. He's as professional as they come. He's still very dangerous for a contender, very appealing for a contender. He's auditioning for every contender, every start, essentially. So he's going to bring the White Sox back a haul if he stays healthy. That's a big if. Every time you put him out there, you run the risk of him getting injured to the point where you will wonder, if he gets injured, why they didn't deal him by now, which is the only reason – I think you wonder about the wisdom of keeping him, the threat of injury. Otherwise, I do think as you get closer to the trade deadline, as I have said before, you're going to get desperate contenders who will overpay for an ace like him. Yes. So he's saying the right things. He's going to be professional. I don't know who his bullpen will be when he goes five innings and turns it over, but all he has to do is control what he can control, and he's doing a good job of doing that. It's a great question, and so many of them were so good. In fact, all of them I learned something from. We actually have Mark Tressman news. This one knocked me out <laughs> yesterday when I saw this. Mark Tressman, remember him? Returned to the NFL on Wednesday thanks to David's guy, Jim Harbaugh. The Chargers hired Tressman as a senior offensive assistant. What's your reaction? And if Tressman isn't the most unlikely, unexpected, former really bad Chicago sports coper manager to resurface with another respectable job, can you name one other strong candidate? <laughs> That's mean. That's mean. But I think Mark Tressman returning to the NFL was a big surprise. But it also shows you that Jim Harbaugh has got a very, I want to say a good memory. All right, so Mark Tressman, let's go back to before the dysfunction settled in in 2014. He burst onto the scene with the Chicago Bears. Why? Because their offense was fixed in 2013. That 2013 offense that went 8-8 eight and eight for Mark Tressman and the Bears was actually pretty efficient, pretty creative, and not terrible. His design, his schematic genius is just that. He's his level of expertise that is respected around the league. His problem isn't What's in his brain is getting what's in his brain communicated <laughs> through his mouth to the, fan, to, the, to the people in front of him, to his audience. He can't command a room, but he can run an offense. So Jim Harbaugh, aware of that, wants to tap into every little bit to get the most out of Justin Herbert. I get the hire. Talked to somebody yesterday familiar with what's going on with the Chargers, and they thought it was you know, a stroke of brilliance, a guy who we haven't heard from before because he's that respected among offensive minds in the league. He is. I'm sorry. It's not me. Dustin's look at his face is classic. We need to tap in. I, I don't know if you're allowed to tell us your source at some point. As but far as great. other strong candidates, <laughs> Can you tell me your other former Chicago sports managers or coaches you never expected to resurface, Jim Boylan's got another job. How'd that happen? <sighs> you talk about another oddball joining another oddball. Now, here's what I will say. And, and I have said this. I'm on record for saying this. If Lovey Smith would have hired Mark Tressman to be his offensive coordinator, we may have seen the Bears make another Super Bowl, 
or at least get to another Super Bowl. I thought that was a mistake. And but why, that Justin? was how long ago? And why? Because but that was how long ago? What's Mark years. Trestman been doing since the last time he was around the NFL? Seminars. <laughs> About stocks? He's like a stock guy. Oh, my God. I'm just saying, I mean, okay, now maybe maybe he can draw stuff up, and then he'll give it to Harbaugh, and Harbaugh can communicate it. But you're right. Like, he's the weirdest guy in the room. I mean, is it like it, it, Trestman's daughter on Twitter? Is that who you were, like, direct messaging, David? Come on. I mean, come on. <laughs> what do you? Come on. No. No, no. David doesn't strike me as the guy that slides in DMs. Um, I will say this. Obviously, it was shocking to see Trestman there. What if, what if it was, because obviously there's some rumblings that, you know, Harbaugh, you know, didn't get the call because, you know, he felt scorned from a couple years ago in that coaching search. So what if Harbaugh just kind of, you know, to the Chicago Bears just to hire him to be like, you guys are just, oh, yeah, you don't want to, I'm going to take Trestman from you just so you guys can talk about it on sports radio in the morning. I could see something like that happening because Harbaugh strikes me as a guy that that isn't below something like that. Um, Coach that got a job, though, isn't Getsy like the most surprising person? Huh? Not if you talk to people in the league. In the next year? But the next year? Yes. For the Raiders? Yeah. Gar Foreman would have been my guy. Gar, Gar Foreman, Foreman, that's a good one. That's if he gets one. a job again in the basketball. <clears throat> he did. He worked for the Pelicans for a while. Wow. Vinny Del Negro. Oh, get- Vinny. Great <laughs> announcer. As a coach, he's a great announcer. Yeah, yeah. As a coach, he's great. Oh, but yeah. Oh, my God. Trust me. Oh, my God. This will be a pick six. There's your ball game. Uh, poor DePaul lost again to number one UConn, a game in town that barely registered on the sports Richter scale. The search for a coach goes on. And Ohio State just fired Chris Holtman before the end of his seventh season. Holtman was 14-11 and 11 this year, 137-86 and 86 during his tenure. At 52, does he fit the profile of the type of coach DePaul should seek, or would you advise them to avoid a retread? I think it is... Uh... Sad to think that the number one team in the country was here in Chicago, and like like you mentioned, it didn't even wasn't even a blip. Eight I mean, o'clock tip time. That that was that that's South what did Luke, that in. It's just terrible. Um, as far as Holman goes, I mean, I think about <clears throat> college sports as a whole, and you see a lot of coaches leaving, right? Just like, hey, I don't want to deal with this NIL situation anymore. I don't want to deal with the transfer portal. I'd rather have a secure job where I don't have to deal with the hoopla. So when I think of a guy like Holman, and whether or not they should, you know. Find someone else. Yeah, they should avoid the retread. Find someone brand new. Find someone like early 40s that's ready to get after it, that's ready to, to that, that probably has a head start on this NIL thing. It's probably like the guy at the low end of the totem pole and was dealing with that while the old school coach was really trying to recruit and hand cash under the table. Like the young guy was doing the NIL stuff and really trying to make it work. So he probably has a better grasp of it. Like that's what you're going to need. You're going to need to inject new life, especially in a DePaul team. Like, bringing an old guy to come in, a la Tony LaRusso, is just not going to cut it for DePaul, right? You need to bring some new life, somebody that's going to just in- inject, like, a newness into the DePaul program. I love the athletic director that you guys had on a couple of weeks ago. Wayne Peavy. It was just a great conversation because he seemed as though he understood the position that he was in mm-hmm. and where he wanted to go. And I love the fact that he mentioned that, you know, hey, we laid the foundation and groundwork for this, so I can be in a better position to do so, and I hope he makes the right decision uh, when deciding who the next coach should be. Not only was the number one team in the country in town, they also put up 101 points. You don't see, you don't see a lot of 100-point scores in college basketball. Some games, you don't even have 100 points between the two sides in college basketball in a full game, let alone one team scoring 100 and one points. There is one name and one name only in my mind for DePaul. 
said it before, I'll say it again. He was finally mentioned in a notes column in the Sun-Times, and that is Tommy Kleinschmidt. Tommy Kleinschmidt should be the next head coach to Paul. You need somebody who knows DePaul. You need somebody who loves DePaul. You need somebody that, if Chris Holtman took that job, he would want it for like two seasons, and then he would want out and somewhere bigger and better. I respect the Tom Kleinschmidt love. I think he has gotten a lot of momentum. You saw that in the Sun Times noted, and there has been letter. There have been letters and a movement pushing him for the job, DePaul's very own. But I think Chris Holtman, to me, should be the leader in the clubhouse right now. Because why? Dwayne Peavy's got all kinds of time to get to know him, to to figure it out, to find out what he's all about. There'll be other candidates, but this is somebody that not only has success, has had success at a major conference like the Big Ten. He took Butler to three straight NCAA tournaments. He's been in this conference and succeeded. He's worked his way up. I don't know why they fired him. I mean, what's going on at Ohio State? They just hired Chip Kelly to be their offensive coordinator. Does anyone know what's going on in Columbus? But they fired a pretty good coach with games to go. What did he do? I don't think he did anything. He's 52. He's at the right stage. You want somebody with experience. You want a grown-up on the job. You don't want to be teaching it to somebody else. So I think Dwayne Peavy, get in touch. Slide into Chris Holtman's DMs. Do whatever you need to do. But have a meeting. Set it up. Hire a coach. Move on. All right, that's the pick six. That's what we think. We'll hear what you have to think. But first, the extra point. We're going to look at what happened yesterday. Tragic day in Kansas City. We're going to talk about some of the ramifications next. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 the score. Set up this extra point. It's time for the extra point with Mully and Haw on 6-7 the score. Given the tragic scene that unfolded Wednesday in Kansas City after the Chiefs parade when one person was shot and killed and as many as 22 others were injured. Is it time to rethink the tradition of a post-championship parade? There are responsible for great memories, but as these incidents pile up, is it still worth the risk? I don't know the answer to that, and I think everyone's answer will be different. Is it worth the risk? And it sounds like maybe a knee-jerk reaction, and we don't want to be fear-mongers here. But what happened yesterday made you – and gave you the right to feel however you want to feel. It empowered you to be sad and disappointed or pissed off and not going to take it anymore. I mean, this is another example of senseless gun violence in our country where it seems to be happening at every turn, at every too often. It's, it's an anniversary of this or an anniversary of that, and all of them are tragic anniversaries, and it's happening way too often. And so you can react however you want. We don't want to be... Irresponsible, you can't ignore it though. And so, you did wonder in the wake of this, what will happen? How will I feel if the next time in Chicago, if there is another championship parade, that would you want to go to it? How would you feel going to it with your, with a friend or by yourself or covering it? Or if you have young kids, how would you feel going to the next championship parade? Are these things going to be? eliminated from our society because you can't enjoy this. You can't trust people. They don't have enough security checkpoints. There were 900 police officers in Kansas City yesterday, and still one person is dead and 22 were shot or injured and three people in custody. So I don't know if there are any easy answers, but it is a conversation people have to have, and I guarantee you the next championship parade, this will be one of the foremost concerns, and we saw some of the 
video last night, some of the reporting from Kansas City, the local officials handled it as gracefully as they could have, as eloquently as you would hope. But their first concern when they had the parade was, how are you going to manage this? And I think they're going to receive criticism for not managing it well enough, perhaps, because there weren't enough security checkpoints. How would you feel if you were allowed to go to a next championship parade? Will they move these things in stadiums? A lot of tough questions to answer. Right now, the focus is on the tragedy, and you can react however you want to, but I, I feel sadness and grief for the victims of this, but I also feel ticked off that it happened again. Ticked off that it happened again. I'm with you 100%, David. It's really bad. I was watching on NFL Network. I, I was tuned in to see um, how much of an ass Travis Kelsey would make himself into, um, and he delivered. <laughs> his friends tried to have his back, but he delivered. And unfortunately, this is this is what happens. And they had a picture-perfect day. It was like 70 degrees in Kansas City yesterday. They just, I mean, they couldn't have asked for a better day. And, and they also, we had talked about it. I don't remember if we talked about it on the air or off the air. Sometimes I forget which conversations make it to the air or not. But we talked about Taylor Swift and whether she was going to be there or not. And there were reports that she was asked to not attend because of how many more people would have showed up just to get a glimpse of her right. had she been part of that celebration. That's a great point. And then I just looked, either the NHL or the NBA are the two next sports that will crown a champion, and depending on how far the Game 7s go, it could be either either side could be their, their playoffs. They go The Game, game 7 of the NBA Finals goes all the way to June 23rd. The Stanley Cup Finals can go all the way to June 25th. Mm-hmm. depending on how many games and how far it goes. So it will be very interesting to see what happens next as far as when there is this next champion crown, will will there be a, a next parade? And I would I would not take my daughters. Even I, I mean I have a I have a seventeen year old and a twelve year old. We went to the Cubs parade. It was the best part other than seeing Anthony Rizzo throw his hands above his head. It was the best part of that run was going to that parade. When you right. work in this business, it's not as uh, fun as you might think sometimes. And some people can uh, take the fun out of you when you're celebrating a championship. That was the best part of it. But absolutely what's been going on since then, up until now, I would not take my children. Yeah, your par- the parade is the opportunity for the fan base to get in on the fun. To you know, have this culmination happen where you know we've had a great season and you know we've cheered everyone. You guys won the championship and we're coming together. This should be a great you know a great moment. So it's unfortunate. Do I think it'll you know change the traditional post championship parades? No, I think they'll still be there. Is it worth the risk? I mean, just based off the question alone, reading it at face value, no, right? In the event that something like this can happen, but they're still going to show up because it's kind of like saying you know don't go to Millennium Park anymore because there's shootings. Don't walk down Michigan Avenue because there's you know, things that are going on out there. And you mentioned sen- senseless, David, and I think it's thoughtless, right? I think that's what happens in these moments. It's, it's It literally is thoughtless to the truest sense of the word. People are literally not thinking in those moments and and, and just, you know, it's just ridiculous what happens there. But, but, but at all these events, when you talk about championship parades, being in large, like imagine like the Bulls in the 90s when you're at Grant Park and how many people are there. The difference between then and now is that people's heads are on a swivel. Right. You hear a loud noise. It is no longer what was that. It is, oh, no, let me, I'm afraid. Right. And I think that's the biggest difference with people's minds because subconsciously you're ready to run. And so I think people will still show up, 
Uh, but I just think people's mindsets are a Walking lot different. Walking through Millennium Park, going down Michigan Avenue, though, that is a function of everyday life in Chicago, in a city. Where you can have any city, in any any kind of landmark, and you could you say a similar thing. What's different about, I think, parades is they're staged events. So you are, in in some ways, you are giving an opportunity to people to do what happened yesterday. That's a terrible way to look at it. But I wonder if that's the way some people will begin to look at it. And I wonder how people out there feel. We're getting some text reactions, and I wonder if there are callers out there. How would you feel about going to a championship parade now in Chicago if a team were lucky enough to win a title? 312-644-6767 or anything else we talked about during the pick six. Are you still watching the Bulls? What's the word that comes to mind when you consider where they are at the All-Star break? Is it flummoxing to you as it is to me? How about Cubs and Sox in the first day? of pitchers and catchers reporting what stood out to you. Let us know. Gabe Ramirez is in for Molly. It's Molly and Haas, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 to the score. Welcome back. It's Molly and Haas, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 to the score. Gabe Ramirez in for Molly today, 312-644-6767. Talking about a lot of things, the parade, tragedy in Kansas City, with Cubs and White Sox reporting with the pitchers and catchers in Arizona for spring training, as well as the Bulls losing to the Cavaliers last night. Also, Gabe, while people slept, they may have missed this. The White Sox. <laughs> the White Sox <laughs> signed another Kansas City Royal. Let's go, Earth. baby. Mike Moustakis, three-time yeah. All-Star. Who Why not us? Best days are behind him. Certainly the former All-Star fa- uh, phase of his career uh, was – Basically signed by the Sox to a minor league deal. Moustakis can play several different positions. He batted, he's 35 years old, batted 247 last year, 12 home runs in 112 games with the Rockies and the Angels. He has 215 home runs in 13 seasons. And wait for it, this is a real statistic that is relevant to this story. He was a starting third baseman in Kansas City in 2011 when Chris Getz was a starting second baseman. Chris Getz is a great scout. He knows talent when he sees it and remembers it. Got a good memory. <laughs> He's got a good memory. <laughs> Enough Royals already. Oh, my God. I mean, come on. The score listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. Let's start the conversation with John and Joliet. Good morning, John. Welcome to Mullen Haw. Good morning, guys. You know, um, I'll make it brief. Every time I take the grandkids somewhere, and Dave, you know I talk about my grandkids a lot, but mm-hmm. I take them to a lot of sporting events, that thought is always on my mind if there's going to be a fight, if there's going to be something. But we can't live in that kind of fear. Unfortunately, we have to. But the thing that gets me is that yesterday how tragic it was, there was two other mass shootings that went on in the United States. And unfortunately, so sad for the people that got killed or got injured. But you know what's going to happen? It's going to happen again the next day and the next day. And until the people in charge of our country start stop talking about things and start doing things, hopefully things will change. It's just sad that this goes on. And as far as the shooter, there was one guy in a red um, sweatsuit that got caught. He was hundreds of feet from the stage. Right. How crazy is that? Guys, have a great day. And, you know, 
I just it's just condolences to the people that were lost yesterday. It just this sucks. Thanks, yeah. John. Thanks Appreciate for the, the phone call. Six three zero texter. One of my best memories with my daughter was the Cubs parade when she was seven. Couldn't imagine how that joyful event ended in tragedy. I would have a hard time going now. Respect that. Three one two. I've gone to all of the Blackhawk parades and the Cubs parade, but I will not go anymore. Mm. I'll watch on TV. Mm. We're getting some of that sentiment. Certainly, I think I understand that. There's a reaction that is visceral to what happened yesterday in Kansas City. John's exactly right. It happens far too often. We become almost numb to it. You forget that this happened at the end of the Nuggets parade in Denver back in June. You wonder about the next time, as Dustin alluded to, it'll be summer, late June, early July, in some major city celebrating a championship by the NBA champion or the NHL champion, and you wonder you wonder how that will be handled. Yeah. Do you feel, David, in the city, Chicago specifically, that over the last couple of years there's been an increased feeling of lawlessness? Oh, absolutely. Right? I do think that is fair. Uh, is that an overreaction? Is and I'm that not an talking overstatement? about – Yeah, yeah. And I'm not talking about, you know, killings and murders. But I'm talking about, like, smaller things, like running red lights – like things that people feel like they can get away with because it's not a big, as big of a deal. And I think that's what bleeds into just like everyday life. I think now. we tend to uh, – the acceptance of, of chaos. Yeah. You know, it seems like that is even more uh, regular uh, as, as we kind of – the last couple of years probably more pronounced since the pandemic, maybe people returning to work to the city and you see that more and more. I'm not quite sure why, but I am curious. I've just – what happened yesterday, you just, you're right. You went into the parade. Dustin was glued in like a lot of people. You wondered what Travis Kelsey was going to say next. You wondered how Patrick Mahomes was going to conduct himself. People wondered if Matt Nagy was going to dance. We talked about that yesterday. <laughs> and then all the fun and games turned very serious very quickly. And you saw some of the reports pivot uh, immediately from describing what was said on stage and what was going on through the parade to not knowing how to react when they saw people leaping barriers and running for their lives, literally. Just a tragic end to a festive event that nobody should have to endure. Yeah, and I think that, you know, our, the caller just said it best, right, where he's like, everywhere I go now, my head is on a swivel. Mm-hmm. Every, and that's what I was pointing out earlier, where people aren't necessarily Fearful. I mean, obviously, there's going to be a contingent of population that isn't going to go, like our texter. But there is people. There are people out there that are like, I'm going to go, but I am extremely aware of my surroundings. Where maybe two years ago, I might have just went, you know, freely to this event and not looking over my shoulder. If you want to talk about that, we are here for you. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. We're going to pivot to talk about the beginning of spring training as well. Impressions of Craig Council. Impressions from Pedro Grafol. We'll look at what the Cubs have yet to do. We'll hear from Jed Hoyer, who was under the weather but sounded a little uh, fed up, maybe. So we'll get to that when we come back. Gabriel Ramirez is in for Molly today. Also, today, February 15th, marks the end of a 30 plus year career for Deborah McCabe. Deborah, a longtime sales exec at Odyssey Chicago which includes the score and WBBM News Radio. Deborah managed great accounts such as the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, ComEd, Benny's Beverage Depot, so many others. 
through the years, 30 years, his long career. Her career will be celebrated later today by the station, at the station, with coworkers, family, and friends. The score salutes Deborah on an amazing career, and we say thank you for all your years of service. Should have. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Some anxiety. Like, if you're not, I think you're probably over it if you don't have the anxiety right like you're so um of course you have some of it but it's the good it, there's the good kind and the bad kind so if, if that makes sense and i think it's the good stuff um i i think i'm i like being nervous in the dugout like i i think like that's when you're locked in if that makes sense you know like there's there's a little you should be on a on edge to get that's you need to be on edge to get locked in. I think maybe that's how I do it. I guess, but I, I think that's how the right way to. That's for me. That's how it works for me. Good morning, it's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio six seventy. The score. Gabriel Ramirez in for Mully today. That's the increasingly familiar voice. Len Casper, not Len oh, Casper. My bad. My bad. Craig Council, <laughs> Sox boy. <laughs> Hey, Come on. He's a Cubs guy, too. Len Casper? It you sounds think? like him. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Len's got a little bit more higher pitch. But, okay, Craig Council, the new manager. How long are we going to refer to him as the new manager? The new manager, the manager of the Chicago Cubs. On day one, pitchers and catchers report. Baseball's back. Baseball's back. We're going to talk to Bruce Levine, who's in Arizona at 745. We're going to talk about the Cubs now, though, because I'm curious what first impressions People had from hearing from Craig Council, but also seeing him. This was his first official day in Cub Laundry. <laughs> and there's an adjustment period to where you see a guy who you're used to seeing in the enemy's colors. Like, remember last year how weird it was to see Wilson Contreras in a Cardinal uniform? Felt weird. Felt wrong. Now, it did feel wrong. Now he's the heart and soul of the Cardinals. <laughs> And that's the way he was referred to in the St. Louis, St. Louis Post-Dispatch yesterday. Craig Council, also the heart and soul of the Brewers and the brains of the outfit. He's now a Cub in Cubby Blue, and he was yesterday talking about the good anxiety to have 
And I think that I liked most what he said, and we talked about this in the pick six a little bit. He's going to be direct with players. There's not going to be any ambiguity of where he stands. That's what any, that's all you want. Even if it's bad news, even if it's a bad assessment, even if it's not what you want to hear, the best managers tell you that anyway. And they find a way to make it palatable so you can work on things, so you can get better. Craig Council is going to elevate the level of conversation in the clubhouse, in the dugout. And eventually that will result in him making this team better than it is on paper. Currently. Yeah, well, better. without the addition of, of other players, oh, is that what not, you're saying? We're not there yet. Well, I think that's he's the, only the manager. I, I think we're talking about the wrong thing here. Or what are we talking? What should we be talking about? Oh, Gabe, how concerned Dustin Rhodes is that Cody Bellinger isn't signed yet to the Chicago Cubs? Okay, let's talk then. Let's pivot to Jed because see, there's a manager's role and then there's a general manager's role. If but I'm sure the manager thought to himself, I'd have a better team than this going into the season. You know what? Maybe, but I don't. Not think- maybe I'm, I'm I'm almost positive he thought that. Or he still thinks that, right? He still thinks he's going to get this, this, this bump. But I'm sure, like what he has in front of him in the present is not what he thought he was going to have with him when pitchers and catchers reported. I think Craig Council is playing the long game. He got a five-year contract, forty million dollars. My sense is that are the Cubs playing the long game? I don't know. I think they're different games. Maybe <laughs> that's what I'm trying to. That, well, that's why. <laughs> let's face it. When you hire Craig Council, you're announcing that you're ready to contend in 2024. I think that was the message on November 10th or whenever it was. That they signed him. The offseason came and now it's gone. We're not in the offseason anymore, really. Spring training has begun. Isn't this the, the new season? Yes. It's not the off season. It's the now season. So now it's I want to know <laughs> what are they going to do with Cody Bellinger. Although I don't think that Craig Council is dwelling on that. No, no, I, because he's a professional manager. But I I am surprised, right? As a guy on this station and knows how much people love the Cubs, that there isn't more criticism towards the organization because Cody Bellinger or someone cut from the same cloth isn't on this team. A team last year that everyone was so hyped up and adamant that they were supposed to make the playoffs, right, And when it got to that point in the season, and they were so disappointed that they didn't, and they had this success, and then you remove two Key pieces. Okay. And all of a sudden, I, we're just like, hey, Craig Council is cool. Hey, guys, season started. I want to Don't respond worry, to that. We're going to get Bellinger. I want to respond to that because there Everybody's are moments calm. where I do feel a little ticked off. But I want to hear from Jed Hoyer first. I want to hear from the person whose job it is to remove and diminish that level of anxiety and remove those doubts and fears. And Jed Hoyer yesterday, under the weather, but also maybe a little fed up with the questions, Jed Hoyer talked about a roster that is not yet complete. And this is what he had to say about that. I don't think we're ever going to feel you know, complete. You know, in my 20-plus years, I've never gotten to a place where it felt like uh, you just kind of turned it over to the manager and, and, like, you know, went and played golf. And that's not how this, this thing works, you know. I think that we're always going to be looking for upgrades um, both now and, and all season long, and that's, what, that's, that's our job. Um, yeah, I'm excited about where we are as an organization. I think that we have a lot of good young veteran players on the team. I think we have uh, a ton of young talent. And um, I'm probably more excited for this spring than most springs just because we have so much young talent in camp. And that's what's really you know fun in this job is watching those guys play, watching those guys develop. You know, Young players, young talent, that's 
that's where the game is right now. That's the currency of, of baseball, and um, you know, that's the part of our, the organization that gives me the uh, the most confidence. And I'm, I'm excited to watch those guys every day this spring. Okay, I get where where he's coming from, but nobody's going to be as excited as he is about the seven prospects in the top 100. <laughs> they want to see Belly in a Cub uniform. And but it's, but it's not just that, David. But Gabe, it's if you don't have Bellinger, right? Yeah. Who are the Chicago Cubs this season? Well, they're not they're not the best team in the division. That's my point. Yeah, they're not. But and I that's going to be a huge disappointment here's, to the fan base. Here's what the answer is to your question. In my mind, why aren't people more outraged why is he not taking more criticism this is what happens when you have an executive who has earned the benefit of the the doubt I think when you and it's rare it's rare because we like to just fire shoot first ask questions later (laughs) you know let's attack and then let's attack and then let's let's attack some more because that's what we do in sports talk radio right (laughs) and give me some I have my twitter muscle I I'm I'm very strong at the keyboard (laughs) it's anonymous all right, so social media becomes a cesspool where context goes to die. I don't think we need to do that. I don't think that's a really appropriate. If you're mad on opening day because the Cubs don't have Cody Bellinger in the lineup, you are entitled to your outrage. You can be as fed up and ticked off as you want to be. Call us up. Light up the phone lines. We'll be with you in spirit. We'll rip them to shreds. Right now, though, I think Jed has earned the benefit of the doubt. He's a very good executive. He has done this before. If he doesn't have Bellinger in the fold right now, I still think that there's this little bit of hope and expectation that he will be by opening day. I know I'm using the wrong word, but it just it, it, there's, there's a level of arrogance, and not from you, David Hall, but from the notion that, guys, chill out. It's all good. This guy has it under control, and whatever he comes up with, we're going to be okay. You want to know why? Jed Hoyer for life. It's like, no. <laughs> it's like, it's like I, I, I hear what you're saying, but, the, but again, the level of arrogance that comes with that, like, guys, it's going to get done. It's no big deal. But if he's wearing another jersey and then that happens, it's like, no. See, you call it arrogance. I would call I, it I, awareness. I said, I, in the beginning, I said it probably a bad, a bad word. Uh, that's okay. Awareness? Is that we're doing that? We're affording people the luxury of just being aware? No. We we are supposed to be critical. I don't think it's affording people the luxury of being aware. I think that it's commending them for being rational. There's a a market for Cody Bellinger that's not as robust as Scott Boris anticipated. Correct. He is like most agents, and he probably overestimated the interest and the, the the price tag for his client. Cody Bellinger is one of four high-priced, highly proven clients for Scott Boris. It's pretty apparent that Scott Boris has not had a good offseason yet because there's a, there's a gap between what he's asking for Cody Bellinger and what the Cubs are willing to pay. Jed Hoyer still may come out of this looking like a genius for getting Cody Bellinger in a Cub uniform at his price. So then, how will you feel, Gabe, Ripping the guy to shreds yeah. if the next week the headline is Cubs get Bellinger at their price. Maybe I feel great for Cubs fans, finally. Okay, but won't you feel a little silly for overreacting no. to the absence? No. Ugh. Why? No, because— Why would you not? All right, so here, here's a, there's a couple things in play when it comes to Cody Bellinger. One, we know he outperformed his contract last year. 
That we do know. We understand that the reason why the Cubs are taking their time is because they don't want to overpay for a, for a player that they might be hesitant in thinking that he can duplicate the success that he had last year. I understand that. That makes complete sense to me. The issue that I have, David, is that you have no plan in place to, to make up for the success that Cody had last year, right? And, and, and you're banking on him. If you are bringing him back, you're banking on him, duplicating it. And if he doesn't, if you don't bring him back, you have no plan in place to make up for that, that loss of productivity. And I think that's the biggest issue for me is that one, you have no, no you have no, no plan in place to replace it. And two, you are then banking on him doing it again. There's nothing else outside of that. It's guys, don't worry, I'm gonna get him at my price. And I hope to the baby Jesuses that are out there that he can duplicate his success. I think that Jed talked about being involved with other free agents. I don't know how much I believed him on that. And I do think your point's valid in that no matter what replacement you might turn to, it's gonna feel like uh, a lesser option, and it's going to be it's going to be somebody who's a placeholder for a team that is ready to win now. If you add Cody Bellinger, if you add another free agent, maybe you know they're not done yet. I think the the other interesting thing I think we heard from Jed yesterday was how he talked about the excitement he feels about the youth in spring training, but also how he's never quite done adding talent. The balance act balancing act of spring training with adding talent. He's managing the team every day, and he's out there with the players. And, um, yeah, sure, I'll go out there and uh, watch a few bullpens and things like that. But ultimately, our job is, is you know, more behind the scenes. You know, we'll, we know, we're always talking to agents this time of year. There's always players still left on the market. So that's, that's nothing new. Um, but, again, I, you know, I'm not out there every day with the players. I think our job is to talk to agents and, and to handle other things, you know, behind the scenes. That's his job. That's his role. I would love it when the Cubs have their first full team session next week if they do what they did with Dexter Fowler all those years ago and they bring him out and it's a surprise <laughs> and they unveil Cody Bellinger. You're the problem, David. You are the problem. Just like this texter said. What? He says, the outrage isn't there because for four months all we've heard is Bellinger's going to be a Cub. And that's why no one's upset because it's very matter of fact. And when you say things like, it's going to be, wouldn't it be great if they Dexter Fowler, everybody like, yes, <laughs> but that's it would be. but that's just it. Everyone is, is operating as if it's a hundred percent fact that is going to happen. I don't think it's a hundred percent. I know. I, I know. I said, everyone's operating yeah. as if like, no. well, I'm, I'm reserving my rancor for later. <laughs> I, I do reserve the right to be ticked off about not getting Cody Bellinger and concerned about the Cubs and, and wondering where in the world they're going to get any pop in that lineup because it's lacking right now. There really isn't there really isn't a lot to fear in the Cubs batting order if you look at it without Cody Bellinger. He is also the great multiplier. He makes everybody else in that order a little more dangerous. And so you expect a little bit more from each guy. I don't see the length of that lineup. Where does Christopher Morell bat? So I hope Jed is sincere when he says that he's not done yet. <laughs> I love the fact that in the beginning of this conversation, you were amped up, and now you, you seem a bit reserved. <laughs> I'm a little st- – I mean, I still think they're going to get him. Yay. So does everyone else, David. All right, let's go out to the phone lines. 312-644-6767. Psycho is in Westchester. Hey, Psycho. Hey, Gabe. How are you guys? What up? Uh, my question to you 
We're able to replace that RBIs and the home runs that uh, Bellinger gave you. And they got no left-hand pop in that lineup at all. I mean, you, the teams of, in their division are loving that Bellinger's not signed with the Cubs yet. I mean, I don't even see it. I mean, you look at all our teams like Atlanta, Arizona, Milwaukee possibly, maybe St. Louis. They're ahead of the Cubs. I mean, where are the Cubs going to make the playoffs? Are, are, are you just looking to possibly squeeze to make the playoffs? Or are you trying to win the division and go further? I, I don't care what heads, uh, Jed's trying to do here. Um, but I'll tell you one thing. If they don't sign Bellinger, his head's on the chopping block. Mm. That's what i got to say, guys. Mm. <laughs> wow, psycho. Wow. That, that escalated quickly. <laughs> hey, Mike Talkman, according to the Chicago Cubs.com, he's their starting center fielder in the depth chart. 847, David's love of the Cubs is showing today, but love is blind. Hey, listen, the love references were so yesterday. All right. <laughs> love is blind, but I'm not blind. It's good Netflix TV I'm show. I'm not blind. I know the Cubs are, are flawed. I know they're limited. They got to sign Belly. And do not disparage Mike Talkman. He had, without Mike Talkman, Gabe, he the did. Cubs would not have been in the he situation did. they were in in September. They would not have been put in the situation to blow right. a lead down the stretch the way that they did so memorably. <laughs> but can Talkman, can Gomes, okay, another guy, like, great guy with runners on, but can they duplicate the season from last year? No. Gabe is shaking his head no. no. The answer is no. Is, well, it, is your answer yes? My answer is I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. Every right. season of course. Of course. reveals surprises. A year ago at this time, if you had said Mike Talkman is going to play a major role in a contending Cub team, you'd have said, what are you drinking at 7.15? Because of the Cubs being contending or because it's Mike Talkman? Because it's Mike Talkman. Oh, okay, okay. The Palatine Pounder didn't have a nickname <laughs> last year at this time. <laughs> he was just a guy. So true. And there's somebody in that camp this time that is just a guy. And they've got all the youth. I get it. I get where they're coming from. Hey, look, Cade Horton, some name we haven't mentioned yet. They think he's going to be a star. Ben Brown could be a guy. They could pitch their way into contention until they finally get somebody who's going to hit a home run. I don't know who they're gonna who's gonna hit a home run. I've never I've never seen you as as the apologist in my life. What are you talking about? And it is I'm the bad. It is thick right now. It's like what am I apologizing Kate for? Kate Horton, guys, it's happening. Oh man, Kate Horton's gonna be good. You watch. I believe. I, will remind I believe you. it. No, 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 no. I do think he would. But I'm just saying the fact that that's like that's the statement that we're banking on at the end of this conversation. Cody, Cody Bellinger. What not you're here, basically saying to me and to every Cub fan out there is that. You don't believe in Jed Hoyer. Did not say that. You no, did no. essentially no, I did not say, say that. that. No, 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 no. What it is is that and then there he called should me be arrogant. More... <laughs> I said that's not the word. I think that when you're looking at Jed Hoyer, and I just I think everyone, every Cub fan should have wished that all of this would be done already. Mm-hmm. And not only that, right? Because you mentioned rational early earlier. It's like rational is building on success. Is making your team. Better than it was last year. Feeling good about that going into the season, thinking unequivocally our team is going to be able to compete at a very high level. And that is the part that I feel like Cubs fans aren't up in arms about, is that you had a really good team last year that was close to the playoffs. Jed Hoyer's job should have been to make the team better than it was going into the season so that that way you can feel better about your team going into the season. I'm trying to stay disciplined. I don't want to be delusional. I don't want to be 
somebody that overreacts and is has knee-jerk reactions to things. It would be very easy to come in here this morning and to rail on Jed because he hasn't signed Bellinger yet. And some people may prefer that. Okay. <laughs> I No, I get it. I get why you want you want to share your outrage with somebody. You want to turn on the radio and have somebody who's just ticked off about the Cubs offseason as you feel. I could get there if they open up the season without Cody Bellinger in the lineup, but I also think there's time for that to happen. But even with Cody Bellinger, David, yeah. Yeah. you can't look at that team and say that they are now just better than they were last year. Oh. You can't. Okay. You can't. Well. And that's, the, that's my issue, right? It's not just the Bellinger thing, mm-hmm. right? Bellinger kind of gets you back close to where you were. I think it's because you don't know what you have in Soda. You know, he, he, is he going to carry you the way that Stroman did at the beginning of the season? These are things you don't know. So, so there's nothing in place that makes you think, without a doubt, this team is now, one, going to be in the- You never know that. I understand. When, if they sign Bellinger, I do want to know what their plan is at third base. But if they sign Bellinger, I think that they are in a position, because of the upgraded manager, to contend. I do. Don't look at me like that. I hear the high-pitched voice I, I, with the ID. I heard it. <laughs> That's okay. David Delusional 847 says, <laughs> okay, whatever. I, go, I went from flummoxed to delusional this morning. I can't wait to talk White Sox next. That's oh, what we're going to no. do. We're going to hear from Pedro Grafol because you know what he said the, yesterday? He said the three words that every White Sox fan was waiting to hear. Why not us? Really? Come on, Pedro. Gabriel Ramirez in for Molly. It's Molly and Haas, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Why not us, right? Welcome back. It's Molly and Haas, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Gabe Ramirez in here for Molly, giving me a lecture on baseball. Hey, you did it to yourself, bro. You did it to yourself. All right. Whatever. Why not us? Pedro Gafol asked yesterday in Glendale, Arizona, the manager of the White Sox, two days in a row, providing some sound I didn't expect to hear. Coming from the White Sox manager's mouth, there is a defiance I didn't maybe expect. There's an edginess maybe I didn't anticipate. Yesterday he was, and, and these are, in fairness, snippets. Weren't there? I, I watched a lot of what he had to say. These are snippets from a 15 to 20 minute address with media, however long it lasted. So I think that you know you want to keep that in mind as well, but. There are moments when he talks that you feel like he does have a chip on his shoulder. Some people like that. Some people probably because he was a manager of the team that lost 101 games, not going to like that. So I get that. What did you think, Sox fan? I, I it's tough, right? Because you you're you're a manager of a bad team, and not just because they lost 101 games last year, but I mean you could just look at your you know, your 27-man roster or those that are down there, uh, you know, down south and say to yourself, you know, this isn't a good team. How can I get out of this situation, you know, while I'm having this 15-minute conversation about this squad? And you have to have a level of optimism. You have to have a level of delusion while mm-hmm. coaching the Chicago White Sox <laughs> and, over, and a level of overconfidence in your players. And I think that's where he's at right now. What do you think the Sox want their strength to be? What will they be better Defense. at? Defense. Do you think that's likely? Do you think that's a roster that that's the only thing they can say, or uh, you know they, they want to say defense and pitching, but the pitching is not going to be pitching. Dylan Cease and everybody else <laughs> yeah. and a bullpen you can't really identify without a roster 
or Google. Yeah. I, their everyday lineup is going to be challenged to score runs. You talk about offensively challenged. Can you name the right fielder? No, I can. Dominic Fletcher? Yeah. Okay. Oh, you got it right in front of you. <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, I, I also am a fan, so okay. I, know, I know my team. Well, what, do you, what, what do you got in Dominic, Dominic Fletcher? I mean, you got to, well, from what they were saying, right? It's, it's the gamer. Him and the other guy, they were, you know, kind of neck and necks, you know, similar players that they were able to, to get from the Diamondbacks. And, you know, they, it seems like they're making a concerted effort to bring in clubhouse guys, right? Guys that love the game, guys that are, you know, Good people. Clearly, they felt like that was an issue last year. And so, you know, listen, pitching, when Tuki Tsant, who, God bless his heart, came in last year and, you know, everybody was like, oh, thank God they got someone that can at least have a chance at winning. When he's your third starter, like plugged in there, Chris Flexen from the, like Mariners, like that was Eric Fetty. Like those are your bottom three in the rotation and you're banking on a Kopech as a number two. E, for real. So, I mean, you're not, you can't necessarily be banking on pitching. You got to go with defense, and, and you can't bank on hitting until it becomes consistent enough to where you can bank on it. The Sox tried to bolster their offense by signing Mike Moustakas to a minor league deal. You know Mike Moustakas, the guy who hit 12 homers before the Rockies and the Angels last year? Remember Mike Moustakas? Yes, Moose. Yes, Moose. He's three-time All-Star. His best days behind him. He also is a former Royal. He was the third baseman in 2011 when Chris Getz was the Royal second baseman. He probably even somewhere along the line has been at a barbecue that Pedro Grafol has attended. Yes. It's another ex-Royal. So, the yeah, you expect to get that kind of reaction from Sox fans who are tired of adding ex-Royals. I asked Chris Getz this question about that when he was a guest on Inside the Clubhouse a couple weeks ago because the examples keep piling up. Now, no, this was three weeks before they signed another ex-Royal, and this is what Chris Guest had to say about the implication or the reality that he's added a lot of ex-Kansas City guys to the organization. You know, I understand uh, that sentiment. Um, I do, you know, and, and, you know, we're talking about, I guess, you know, I spent, two years there in the front office. Obviously I had my playing days. Um, there's been some front office members along the way. And obviously Pedro uh, spent some time there. Um, but man, we, we look at Josh Barfield and, and, and Brian Bannister, Dan Mondry Cohen, um, you know, and, and various, you know, Paul Janish and, and others. We've got, you know, diversity of thinking is very important. Um, there are, you know, there, there's also a built in, you know, trust that you have with people that you worked with before and really, it's blending that all together. Um, you know, each organization is led by, you know, certainly you've got ownership, you've got a, a, a general manager, a president, what have you. And, you know, you shape the culture and direction you want to go. You find the people that, um, you know, have the qualities that you feel like can fit and work towards what you're trying to accomplish. I don't really care where, where anyone comes from. It could be from the college ranks, um, could be outside of Major League Baseball and, and other sports, and certainly – um, you know, you grab individuals w- within our industry that can help you. Um, you know, you've got your, it's really about establishing who, who you are, what you want to be and finding individuals that can carry that out and continue to, to develop them. So yeah, everyone has their starter kit and, and their history, but that doesn't mean that there isn't an evolution. The game changes all the time. If you're not willing to adapt and be aware of what's going to be successful in this game, then you're going to be very limited. Um, but if you can find people that are open-minded, and, you know, perhaps they were working in organizations that 
this was the direction and they were troopers and they were carrying it out a certain way where you bring them in here with a different direction, fresh mindset, diversity of thought, and you evolve with them. So, um, yeah, it, it makes it, it makes it fun, uh, having people that, you know, or don't know and growing relationships, but it doesn't mean that we're, we're just stuck in our ways where we're, uh, we've got a bright group, hardworking, uh, genuine people that, that I think understand what it takes, uh, to connect with players, to grow them, to be the best players that they can be. Um, and that's the mindset. It really is, and regardless of where they come from. That's Chris Getz, general manager of the Kansas City White Sox. And <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. He was actually less defensive than he could have been in answering that question because it is a loaded question. There are a lot of ex-Royals or people who have a Royals stint on the resume. And I thought that it's, it was a natural thing. And this happened again with Mike Moustakas, former teammate in Kansas City, a guy whose best days are behind him. He's 35 years old. Can he help the Sox? We'll see. What's the over-under on at bats? For Mike Moustakas? Does he make the team? I think, I mean, looking at the depth chart, I think he does, unfortunately. When's Lorenzo Cain coming? Never. <laughs> I feel, I'm just saying. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think maybe 100 at-bats. I think that sounds about right. If he gets 100 at-bats, he'll get 200. You know what I mean? If you're going to keep him. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming injury. You are assuming injury. Yeah. Okay. I'm assuming injury. It, will he play enough to. Can we please not talk about Mike Moustakis anymore? <laughs> I, I, they I'm just, just signed him. I know, but he's like, it, 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 if he makes the league, he gets two million. What's compelling about the White Sox? They don't have Tim Anderson anymore. They don't have. They're, they're not going to have. How Dylan about that? Cease Talking about where, where, who's going to sign Tim Anderson? That's a good conversation. I don't know. Well, that's, that's it's Marlins? a very short conversation, it Gabe, is. because he's unsigned. I know the Marlins, and right. it's I, next question, <laughs> February fifteenth. Marlins or Angels? Either either one is not going to be someone. You're not going to keep up at night watching. <laughs> MLB Network to see if Tim Anderson could get uh, uh, to play. David, what do you think Chris Getz's mindset is? Right, clearly it's not you know winning in the present. Is and, and he, he didn't tear down the team to then try to rebuild it. So where do you think his mind is when it comes to being the general manager of the White Sox in the short term? Well, I think that Chris Getz. <laughs> it's easy to be cynical about the White Sox. I don't need to tell you. It's in your blood. It is. The the skepticism is inherent. It comes with the starter jacket that you're wearing <laughs> wearing today. But if you're Chris Getz, you kind of are oblivious to that. You ignore that. You don't care about that. You're building. You're building. You are lucky to have this job. You go to work every day feeling that you are blessed, that you have an opportunity. This is your blueprint. This is your team. Your organization. Expectations are as low as they have ever been. Agreed? Agreed. So you can go nowhere but up. So if I'm the general manager of the White Sox, I'm excited every single day I go to work because I can build this. I have the top prospect in the city of Chicago in Colson Montgomery. I'm going to take all of the assets that I have and try to make Dylan Cease into four prospects. I'm going to take Yomankata into two prospects. I'm going to do whatever I can to flip my major league talent into minor league hope. You've got to sell hope, but you've got to believe it yourself, and you also have got to believe that you are the right guy for the job. So when Chris Getz comes off as confident to people, and Mully gets on me about this a little bit and teases me about him being my guy, 
I like the way Chris Getz looks at his job. I want energy. I want charisma. I want positivity. I want a guy with a plan. I want a guy that sounds like he's miserable and and sentenced to the life as a baseball GM. No. I want a guy that says, you know what? Sox fans think we stink. They hate our team. I'm going to make them love it. I'm going to make us. I, I'm going to make Sox fans love us again because I can. I've got a plan. Be patient. I'll reward it. See now, if you said that, I'd be. I'd feel great about it. If he said, if he said, guys, I got a plan. I have a fight. You know, he's just so much in the present, and I feel like at times it comes off like oblivious to the true issues of the Chicago White Sox. And I hear what you're saying. You take over a team with 61 wins, 101 losses. Even though you're a part of the organization, you are now the GM, so there's nowhere to go but up. So you know, there's this this this, this positive positivity surrounding the gig when you come into. I actually like that. Mm-hmm. But I think the verbiage surrounding it, where I wish he would come in and try to paint the picture of the future for the Chicago White Sox, that would make me feel differently about the organization. Where in the present, it seems like there's this delusion in the organization that like they can still be competitive. As as you mentioned, Pedro Cafol saying, "Why not us?" Well, sir, because you suck. That's why. I see what you're saying. Yeah. See, I I, I look at those two messages as being very because you're closer to John Brevet. <laughs> Yeah, who? <laughs> exactly. Brebia. Two Bs? <laughs> two Bs. Can you spell Brebia? And if you can spell Brebia, you will get two free tickets. And a beer. And a beer. <laughs> and a slice. See? That's going to be the new, that's oh. gonna be the new promotion. <laughs> if you can spell the relief pitcher that enters in the Tricky sixth inning, sound. you can get a free oh, churro man. or something. Oh, All right, we're going to talk to Bruce. He's in Arizona. He was there listening and asking questions of Jed Hoyer and Craig Council. He was at Cub Camp in Mesa. We'll ask him about Mike Moustakis, too, just because Gabe is very curious about Moose because he's thrilled that he's been in a White Sox uniform on a minor league deal. We'll talk to Bruce next. It's Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Baseball. Bruce Levine. It's great to talk some baseball. Score Baseball Insider, covering the Cubs and White Sox for more than 30 years. Bruce Levine is a newsbreaker. Inside the clubhouse co-host, alongside our own David Haw. We've got a lot of baseball conversation to cover. Great being with you, talking baseball. Bruce Levine. That's a really good question, Bruce. See, Bruce, that's the first hard question. With Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Gabe Ramirez in for Molly today. And joining us now on the Circus Sports Illinois Hotline is our guy, Bruce Levine in Arizona. Download the Circus Sports app today. Good morning, Bruce. How are you? Good morning, guys. We heard a lot in both camps yesterday about turning the page. Uh, so where, what page would you like to turn first? Well, we're Chicago stuck. White Sox or Cubs? <laughs> we're stuck on a page in Cubs camp, uh, and I wondered how you would describe the tone of the Cody Bellinger answers from Jed Hoyer. Is he getting a little fed up with either being asked about it or being kind of just held up in negotiations with Scott Boris? Well, I mean, that's the job. Look, uh, Bellinger was as important a person as there was on the north side last year. The Cubs don't come close to the uh, 80, 83 wins that they had last year without Bellinger in the middle of that order. And the question marks about, you know, PCA in center field and Bush at first base are real. So there's really no, uh, you know, quantity or quality the quantities there but the quality is unknown at this point therefore there's a lot of angst and you know going from player to player 
and asking a little bit about Bellinger. They all want him back. Why wouldn't you? I mean, he was terrific there. Terrific clubhouse guy. Outstanding player. Left-handed bat in the middle of the order. Everybody wants him back, including Hoyer. But at what cost? And that's that's the game that he has to continue to play with Scott Boris. It, it looks like a more dangerous game, but at the same time, you see other teams filling out their rosters, moving on without Cody Bellinger. Bruce, when you look at you know, Council, and obviously, you know, we had an opportunity to hear him speak, and you were, you were talking to him as well. I'm curious what his approach is, like, like what we think his approach is this season, right? I mean, he's, he talks a lot about the youth. He understands the team that he's inheriting. But realistically, I mean, he can't be thinking like, hey, we're going to win the World Series. I mean, I understand that that's what you do as a, as a manager, but I'm, I'm curious what you think his approach is mentally to the season is. Yeah, Gabe, no, uh, there, there's no manager, including Pedro Grafal with the team that had 101 losses last year, that goes into the season thinking they're not going to win the World Series. They just don't. It's not a part of their DNA. Now, intellectually, teams like Kansas City and the White Sox pretty much know they're not going to do that. But the, the positivity of the manager, the coaching staff, the way they have to approach it, it, it doesn't allow in any of that type of thinking. So his approach is, yeah, you know, I have more resources here as a manager. I have a good team that uh, won more games than anyone thought last year. Uh, they want to win here. It's the Chicago Cubs. That's why I'm coming here to manage, and I'm coming here to win. So that doesn't go into the, to the thinking whatsoever, I don't think, for Craig Council. I don't think they would ever say this publicly, Bruce, and maybe this is a conversation best had on Saturday when we get more into it on Inside the Clubhouse, but... When you look at what the Cubs are doing, not just with Cody Bellinger, but maybe at third base, and what they're not doing at third base, Matt Chapman is out there, and they have, might have other options they've stayed away from. Jan, uh, Jamer Candelario was let go. He's going to be the starting first baseman for the Reds. How much of that is on basically the market, which doesn't offer a lot of great alternatives, or B, the confidence they have internally in Matt Shaw? the first-round draft pick from last year out of Maryland, who is rising quickly, as they say. Well, I, I think you've hit on a, on a great point, David, and that is that they have belief in their farm system. And th- this, this is the first time they've had that uh, probably in 20 years. Uh, I don't count the the team, you know, from uh, Schwarber and, and Bryant and those guys as far as thinking the farm system was flush. It, it wasn't at that time. Right now, they feel they have position players, they have pitchers, uh, they have catchers, they have people that they feel are going to be major league ball players and good contributors. And the point you bring up about Shaw is a good one. You're not locking into Chapman for five or six years at age 31 when you have a guy that they, that's progressing through the, the farm, farm system like he did last year after signing. And, and the fact that you still have Morrell, who hit 35 home runs last year, okay? He had 10 in the minor leagues. He had 25 in the major leagues. He didn't play all the games. You have to find a spot for him. And, and, and then you still have Wisdom, who uh, had 22, 23 home runs there. And you have, uh, you, you have other options uh, out there. So with, with that in mind, uh, you know, I, I think that, that he feels, and I'm, we're talking about Hoyer, that uh, yeah, uh, they're gonna they're gonna win and and they want to win this year, but they, they want to win for the next four or five years, and that's that's something that fans really don't like to hear. Okay, especially this time of year, they want to know about this season and what you're doing as the 
president of baseball operations to be the best team you can be, to be worthy of being watched all year long by the Cub fan base. Yeah, I got to be honest. I mean, it very much seems that, you know, the dialogue from the Cubs is one that is, is as you mentioned, Bruce, talking about a team that is building, you know, at, for the future as opposed to a team that's trying to build off of last year. That's what it seems like. I mean, obviously the addition of a manager makes a huge difference, but, you know, a lot of people concerned about the loss of production, right? If Cody Bellinger is not there, Bruce, like who are some guys that the Cubs can look at and say, hey, these are a couple of names that we feel like might pick up productivity and 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 be able to replace some of those stats. Well, I mean, they, they you know, Alexander Canario didn't get hardly a chance at all last year, but uh, a lot of teams asked about him in trades during the offseason, okay? They, they have, obviously, PCA that's going to play center field, okay? You, you have other... You have other young outfielders that other teams are looking at. So with, with that in mind, uh, there, there's an awful lot for, for Cub fans to feel good about. Again, uh, it doesn't help you in 2024 to feel good about, well, they're going to be contributors because there doesn't seem to be any spots open right now. But uh, guys, I, I really believe that they'll, they'll add one more free agent, and it, hopefully it's Bellinger the way everybody wants it to be, including players. And the other is, I think they're going to make trades. And I, I think they're going to bring in more arms for the bullpen. I, I think that they, they're not satisfied necessarily with their starting pitching, even though they have uh, numbers uh, to throw out there this year. And I, I just think that the, the charge of Hoyer and uh, Carter Hawkins is, we continue to get this team better, try to win, and continue to be the best organization in baseball for the next five or six years. It's not exciting talk for fans, but it's it's the way that they're looking at things. All right, Bruce, 30 seconds. Mike Moustakis signs a minor league deal with the White Sox. Gabe and I talked about it. We thought 200 at-bats might be the over-under. What say you? It just depends who gets hurt, okay? I mean, somebody's going to get hurt, right, in spring training. Someone's going to get hurt early in the year. He can back up at first base, third base, DH. He's a veteran guy. The, the one thing White Sox fans should you know, look at and, and understand is uh, this is a building year. It's a building year on the field as far as defense, as far as pitching. But it's also a building year for the organization. Makeup is really important for this team moving forward, all of them being on the same page. That's what they hope to see out there all year long. Thanks, Bruce. Keep up the great work out in Arizona. If we don't talk to you tomorrow, I'll talk to you on Saturday inside the clubhouse, right, 9 guys. to 11. All right, thanks, Bruce. Bruce Levine, the Cubs, our insider from the score, covering the Cubs and the White Sox at spring training. All right, when we come back, I think we should talk some Bears. Gabe is in the house. Bears. There's something I've been wanting to address with him to talk him out of that I've heard him say <laughs> repeatedly on the air. <laughs> that I think while I'm here, I need to address it. It this. is the elephant in the room, and we will get rid of it next. Mullen Hodge, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. No bigger question this offseason than what are the Chicago Bears going to do at the quarterback position? Once again, they hold the number one overall pick. Also have their starting quarterback, Justin Fields, still under contract. Here is my understanding of where it stands for the Chicago Bears. According to sources, it would take a historic haul 
for the Bears to move off the number one overall selection. Something wild. Not saying it could not happen just like it did last year, but something crazy would make this happen. Which leads me down the line of one, likely to select Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback. They're not there yet, Mike, but my understanding is they believe he is special. Just want to get comfortable with the person. Welcome back. It's Mully and Hush, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Gabriel Mira's in for Mully. And that was the Ian Rappaport on Super Bowl Sunday, I believe, or last week during the Super Bowl coverage. Really the state of the Bears offseason. Framing it nationally the way we are familiar with it locally. Some people are tired of talking about it. I say you better buckle up. It's February 15th. The draft isn't until April. We're going to talk about it a lot because it's a huge story. It's probably the biggest offseason story in the NFL now that all the jobs have been filled and Bill Belichick is out of work and whatever the case is, there's no Aaron Rodgers drama this offseason. The Bears have the number one overall pick for the second offseason in a row. And they're on the verge of likely trading their starting quarterback who's going to be a starter somewhere in the NFL next year in Justin Fields, a wildly popular Chicago quarterback. I'm glad Gabe's here. Gabe... (laughs) I don't know where this is going. But well, I'm good. Curious. Good. You know, I like to listen to you and your various stops and yes. your various yes. time slots. And I have to tell you that I heard you. I mean, I, I just like <laughs> listening to you all the time. I, I drive home some uh, one night a week. I'll do football night in Chicago. And it's on a Wednesday typically. Or, and I'd like to listen to you talk football with your various guests. You get good guests. You and Grody sometimes have a really good conversation. I've heard you on more than one occasion reference a possibility that you like, if you talked yourself into at least, of keeping Justin Fields and drafting Caleb Williams. No, that's not what I've said. Or you've said maybe okay, Drake May. Okay, you said that's it. But you began almost with the drafting a quarterback at one or wherever and keeping Justin Fields. Two. No, no, no. I want to be very clear. It's not. Caleb I, I Williams. want it. That's why yeah, I'm glad it, you're it, here. It's. It's. First of all, so I, you got to go back to two years ago when I was doing a college football show with Pete Futek. Mm-hmm. And he and I watched incessantly, week in and week out, Caleb Williams and Drake May last year. Not this past season, but the season before, right? So Caleb Williams, Heisman winning season. So then when this year came about and everyone was like, Caleb Williams, number one guy, it's no doubt about it. He and I were having conversations like, what is everybody talking about? Because last year we were having a conversation about where Drake May, I thought Drake May was better than Caleb Williams. So then this year comes about, and then I see all the hoopla, and I'm like, well, I want to be greedy. And I think most Bears fans should want to be greedy. And in being greedy, you get to have draft picks by trading down, and you get to have a quarterback as a fail-safe in the event that Justin Fields doesn't work out, and that comes in the form of Drake May. Because there's no rules in the draft that say only one quarterback can be good. So for me, it's like, oh, well, if I get a Drake May and draft picks, and I still get to see if Justin Fields pans out, this 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 works wonders for me, and so that's my scenario. It's not a Caleb Williams Drake, uh, Caleb Williams Justin Fields on the same team because then you don't get any draft picks as a result of that. I'm glad you amended that and explained it. I still think it's a terrible idea. I only think it's a terrible idea because I what don't... part of the idea it, the 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 keeping Justin Fields or the drafting a quarterback because because you are either on one. No, one I, side. I I want them to draft a quarterback. I want it to be Caleb Williams, and I think that they're going to do just that. Okay, but let me explain the logic in why I think that there's there's I, or I object to the the notion of of drafting a quarterback and keeping the incumbent. I think that you are basically telling both guys you kind of sort of maybe believe in them. 
And if you are drafting a quarterback, even if it's Drake May, hypothetically, with your scenario, and they trade down to what, two, two. or three? Two. All right, two. And they give the commanders a haul. I think two things. First, then you're telling Drake May that you are entering a locker room where you are immediately the most unpopular player there because the starting quarterback returns and everybody loves him Mm -hmm. and everybody responds to him. And even if he has uh, three seasons where he has fallen short of his potential, I think, there are a lot of reasons for that, a lot of coaching issues in that. But Justin Fields has universal respect in the locker room and you're telling Drake May, come in here, develop, we're going to develop you into a winning quarterback, but nobody wants you here. Yeah, and I, because and I, you're here to take the job of the guy we love. Alex Smith won won ten games three seasons in a row before the the Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes. Three seasons in a row, mm-hmm. so he had a, a a history of winning. The franchise was winning, and, and and they still went out and got somebody that was really good. Why? Because they were more focused on the future of the franchise. Mm-hmm. And I want to be greedy in thinking that. In that, do I think Justin Fields is going to be better? Sure, he should be. Right. And do I want to see, because, you know, I have the ultimate FOMO, that if he can be that one more time, a couple more games, sure. I think that in the NFL, David, that it, that statement is then operating as if no player works as if they're going to be replaced. Every player, every year, it should be fearing for their job because the, the possibility that someone else can come in to take it exists. And that is the same for the NFL. So for me... To finally put the Bears in a situation to A, have Justin Fields, and B, to have a backup plan. That's the most important part there, is to have a backup plan in the event that that fails. I don't think any athlete, professional athlete, should feel a certain type of way or their play is going to... Are we going to give Justin Fields another reason why we think he's not good is because Drake May's behind him? No. You play, put your big boy pants on, you're in a contract year, go... Go prove to everyone, yourself included, that you can play. And if you can't, guess what? To what end, though? Exactly. To what end? To, to the if point you're three and five. If he succeeds, you're you're thrilled maybe because you're going to win the division, compete for, for a playoff spot, and you're going to spend a lot of money you don't have to spend. And then what do you do with this number two overall draft pick? I get something. It's an asset. You trade him? It's an asset. What are you, what are you talking about? What are because you doing? what you do is you start... You don't think teams are going to give up a first-round pick or more for, for a guy like Drake May? Of course they will. Next year, he'll be worth less than he is right now. Will he, though? Yes. No. Absolutely. It's like a new car. You drive it off the lot, it depreciates. You draft a quarterback, you play him or you don't play him his rookie year, he depreciates I, the next year I, in value. And I disagree with that. I think if you get a quarterback-hungry team, which I feel like 90% of the league is every single year... Someone is going to get desperate and pull and pull a trigger to go get a guy like Drake May and give you assets. I just don't think it's feasible and I don't think it's realistic and I don't think it's necessary because it also then how would you feel if you're watching Justin Fields lead you to the playoffs? Drake May become potential trade bait and then oh and accepting the 2024 Offensive Rookie of the Year, Caleb Williams for the Washington Commanders. Are the Bears winning the Super Bowl, though? Because you're giving me the scenario where... Yes! 
Then yes, I don't care. Gabe, yes. Then I don't you care. Ask that, you don't care if the Bears win the Super Bowl? No, no, no. I said if the Bears win the Super Bowl, then I don't care about Caleb Williams' Offensive Rookie of the no, Year. No, 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 no. I'm not saying oh, the Bears okay, win okay, the Super Bowl. Okay, okay, okay. I'm saying with Justin Fields, you're winning the, the, the division. You're competing for a playoff spot. You're not winning the Super Bowl with Justin Fields. I, I'm sorry. I, I can't see that happening. Okay, yeah, same. Which is why I want Drake May and the and, and the pick. You are winning the Super Bowl. You are you are raising your level of ambition when you keep the number one pick and you spend it on somebody that is, except unless you're Merrill Hodge or a former disgruntled scout from the New York Jets that you believe Caleb Williams is the guy. Yeah, but is the guy. But you're talking as if it's Patrick Mahomes and then like you know Blake Bortles. No, like that's, that, but that's how you're saying it. No, though. but there's a because, difference between Patrick Mahomes and. But that's and, what you're. That's how you're positioning it as, as if and, and Deshaun Watson. Fair, okay, fair. I'm talking the difference between good and great. My whole thing this offseason is that the Bears don't have a dilemma; they have a luxury. They can be. They can make a good decision, or they can make a better one. Keeping Justin Fields, trading down, getting Marvin Harrison Jr., loading up on draft capital, and stocking your roster like the 49ers in theory. Yeah, that's a good decision. That's a good decision. You know what's a better one? Seizing the moment, getting your quarterback, saying we're going to win a Super Bowl with this guy because of this guy. We believe in him. We're taking our big swing because that's what I came here to do. I was in Kansas City. When they did that with Patrick Mahomes, I'm going to do that in Chicago with Caleb Williams. Ryan Poles is going to take a bow after drafting him number one. I like it. I, I listen. I, I love anything, and this is the part that I think a lot of Bears fans leave out of their arguments when they're trying to decide who they want under center next year. As long, like you got to go two steps forward and be like, but are we are we agreeing that we just want the Bears to be successful? Right, whether that is with Caleb Williams, Justin Fields, or whoever it is that's going to be in the center as mentioned, that's what you want ultimately. Caleb Williams at one, because check this out. Patriots take Marvin Harrison Jr. at three and then trade like Josh Rock said or or like uh, the guy from NFL.com, Chad Reuter said, you know, and then they trade their second pick. Can I tell you something about those mock drafts? I ignore so many of them. There's so many mock drafts. What are they based on, Gabe? Speculation. Really. Yeah, what but they... I'm going with what you're saying, right? If okay. Caleb Williams goes one, Drake May goes two. And then the Patriots, instead of quarter, taking a quarterback, they take Marvin Harrison Jr. And then they trade one of their picks to go get Justin Fields. And now they have Justin Fields and Marvin Harrison Jr. Okay. And what else do they have? Are they going to win the, the Bears Super Bowl? defense? Are they going to win? <laughs> no, they're not. Do they have the Bears defense? What we just saw from the Kansas City Chiefs as I get out my football microscope and I look very closely for specks of evidence that you can see maybe exist and can be applied to the Bears. I saw... A team win a Super Bowl because of an elite defense. Agreed. And a, gener- in a, in a great quarterback. One of the best ever. But how a quarterback that elevates the play of everybody around him. Maybe even including the defense. Because they're not on the field very much. And they want to play hard knowing that if they get the, give the ball back to their exactly. offense, they might win. So I think it's all related. The, you know, the 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 effect the multiplying effect of having a franchise quarterback who is that in every sense of the word is what we saw in Kansas City that's what you want in Chicago that's what you envision when they introduce Caleb Williams to the Bears media at Hallis Hall in May when they will I, I'm pretty confident they will 
There's not going to be a red flag. You can start doing the background checks. I'm looking forward to hearing what Caleb Williams' biology teacher said about him in eighth grade. <laughs> but I don't. Did think he turn gonna, in his homework? I, I don't know that they're going to find anything. Sure. They can keep looking. This isn't a Jalen Carter situation, by the way. I know. We got to mention this. It was. It was again. It was. It was with my Puerto Rican brethren, Feliciano. Is it Boricua? And and, and Jalen Carter is now. Is it verified that he is under league investigation because of the? That exchange that he had with Feliciano on the field that escalated into something off the field? So it seems like, right? Feliciano reporting it to the NFL. People that are not privy to the information. The, that there was an altercation on the field where uh, Jalen Carter was mocked by Feliciano because they, he invoked the memory of his dead friend who was killed tragically in that car accident, correct? Yeah. And, K- and Jalen Carter came back at him, according to Feliciano, threatening his family. Well, I, th- I thought it was the opposite, where Carter said it to him, like, hey, I'm going to, you know, yes. the kids aren't going to recognize you. It was the kill you, order, da, da, da. yes. And then Feliciano, in true, like, urban fashion, was just like, well, you already got a body, meaning, like, you already have right. a death under your belt. Right. And then that's when Carter took it to the next level and then went That is the alleged and, proper yes. order of events. Yeah. Either way, when you read a story that suggests Jalen Carter is under league investigation. <laughs> you just don't care. You probably the, feel yeah, good yeah. that he's not a bear. Correct? Am I correct? And a year ago at this time, or maybe not at this time, a year ago at the end of the college football season, Jalen Carter was considered the best available player. I don't know that we're going to run into any kind of waving red flags or chaos as it pertains to Caleb Williams. There are things that you want to address. There are questions you need answered. The meeting and interview with him as he interviews you is pivotal, important. But I I think that, you know, conventional wisdom at some point in time, you start to think, well, this makes a lot of sense. I can see them going that direction. And you know what? It's exciting. It's exciting if you follow the Bears to think that they are on the verge of heading in this direction. And you can, you can cite cynicism that is just part of being a Bears fan, and you'd be right. So, so will you be disappointed, David, if the Bears do trade out of number one? Yes. Very. I would be, I'd be very disappointed for the Bears. I, I'm not speaking as a fan. I'd be speaking more as a objective analysis of what they are on the verge of doing if they trade out of that spot. How do you then handle wait, how do you then handle those that are on the exact opposite side of that and that they'd be disappointed if they draft Caleb Williams? Why well, I respect that. It's yeah. a difference of opinion. Every debate has two sides. Uh one side is right, one side is wrong. <laughs> Fair. And then this one you're both wrong. And this one they're not no, this one I'm right, you're wrong. I, I look Hey, we're getting the textures. They always get the textures. Of course, of course. What about Johnny Menzel? He was right. What about Ryan Leaf? And there's busts in every draft. No prospect is foolproof. There's nobody who is can't miss. But when you do this job, as long as I'm not going to speak, you're young. <laughs> when you do this job, as long as I've done this job, you tend to. Whether it's right or not, trust a consensus of people who do this for a living, who evaluate talent for a living. I respect Merrill Hodge. I don't know why he's so extremely against Caleb Williams. I heard him at the Super Bowl like everyone else. It went viral. He scorned from Trey Lance. I know the scout from the Jets who 
and came out and had him as a fourth-round grade. That seems extreme. I would be aware of notice me guys at this t- stage of the process. I would be aware of notice me guys who are offering extreme opinions, maybe for the sake of offering them. I don't do that. I don't like that. And I'm not trying to do that now. I just telling you, when you see as many people who I've talked to or I've read about that believe Caleb Williams is the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, I trust that evidence. I trust that. And once you trust that, everything else falls into place logically in my head. doesn't have to for you. I respect where people are coming from. Marvin Harrison Jr. in a Barry uniform would be great. You could win with Justin Fields. I think two things. Caleb Williams has Super Bowl potential. Justin Fields does not. I've seen enough. Due respect. The thing about Justin Fields could get better. He could process quicker. He could do all the things and become more accurate. But you know, you haven't won in Chicago. No. It's not because Justin Fields is bad, but he's not part of a winning organization right now. Yeah, and, and I think you know that's one thing that we do agree on is that you know when I think about Justin Fields, I don't say I don't think oh this is a trash quarterback. I think top thirteen to seventeen quarterback in the NFL. And but I, I think when I think of his ceiling, I never think top five, top eight quarterbacks in the league, which is where you need to be if you, you need wanna, to be where you if you want to win. And I think right. for me, when I've had this conversation, maybe that was what you heard on my show in the evening here on the score is, is, is when discussing a Caleb Williams versus a Justin Fields, it's I'd rather have Caleb because to your point, I, I don't think Justin can win you a Super Bowl. And if the possibility exists that this quote unquote generational talent can be a member of your team and can be the possibility exists, not that he is, not that it's surefire, not that it's guaranteed, but the possibility exists that he can get you there, then you have to be greedy as an organization and take a guy like that if he's there. I like your explanation. See, this is much, I feel much better after having this talk. I knew we'd, I knew we'd agree. I knew that. Yeah, yeah, I knew yeah. that. <laughs> I wanted to, and, I, and I'm driving home and I'm hearing this and I'm like, I, I'm going to text him. I'm going to call him. No, <laughs> I'm going to wait until we have an opportunity. <laughs> this was a great opportunity and I feel much better for so having that Bears talk. Bears. All right, so we are going to shift gears. The Bulls, they lost last night. Kobe White had quite a night, but he had a turnover in the final minute, and he missed a shot at the buzzer. But still, he's emerged. They're at the All-Star break. We're going to talk to Will Perdue from NBC Sports Chicago next. It's Mullen Haw. Gabe Ramirez in for Mully. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Will Purdue. Now you got some momentum going. Chicago Bulls pre and post analyst for NBC Sports Chicago. Our jurors wanted consistency. <laughs> I'm not sure this type of consistency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, maybe he should have clarified that. Four time NBA champion. And it's all over. The Chicago Bulls have straight NBA championship. Will Purdue on Mully and Haw. I've been to 12 Hootie and the Blowfish concerts. 12. On 670 The Score. Welcome back. It's Molly Haw, Chicago Sports Radio. 670 the score. Oh, you get a little. What are you, what are you singing there, isn't that, isn't, that the, isn't that the song? Right? Yeah, it is a song. You missing your music days? You know, I heard him say Hootie and the Blowfish, so I wanted to, you know, make sure Will was in the right frame of mind before he came on the of show. Of course, he's a big Hootie guy. <laughs> and the Bulls are solidly in ninth place, 26 and 29 as the All Star break begins. Coming off what was a winnable game against the Cavaliers last night. They have a 17-point lead. They lose 108-105. to Kobe White missed a tough look at the buzzer. 
from three-point range. Turnover in the final minute of the game, 32.7 rebounds, but that left a mark. 15 Bulls turnovers. They convert 20 points off those mistakes. You can't do that against the second-best team in the East. You can't do that if you're the Bulls and expect to make up some ground. They can be a very frustrating team to watch. I used the word flummoxing earlier. And what was your word again? Despondent. Despondent. And Bulls fans are somewhat despondent. But here's the good news. The good news is there's going to be a week before the next game. A week free of of stress. You don't have to watch (sighs) the Bulls. Although that's bad news if you're a big Will Purdue fan because he provides expert analysis on NBC Sports Chicago. And now joining us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline is Will Purdue, CircaLasVegas.com. Good morning, Will. How are you? Oh, good morning, gentlemen. I'm outstanding. Good. Good job last night. Tough gig when you see the same thing happening again and again. The Bulls are entertaining but frustrating. Will, we were trying to come up with a word to describe them at the All-Star break. What would be yours? Boy, that's a a good – Underwhelming? Yes. Good one. Definitely underwhelming. And I think, I think, uh, listen, let's go back two games. Let's go back to the Atlanta game um, on Monday. Honestly, when, it, when I went back and looked at the numbers and, and went back and watched some of the games, that might have been the best game they played from start to finish. Uh, of the season, considering the situation with no Zach Levine, uh, no Alex Caruso, but how well they shot the ball. The defense was good. What Javon Carter and Ayo Zasumu were able to do to, to Trey Young, you know, it just you were checking all the boxes, the rebounding, the defense. You know, you played at the right pace. You, you made threes. But I think what we've learned is, is they cannot consistently play that way. And remember, this was that Atlanta game is kind of what Billy was talking about when we need to play faster, we need to get more shots at the rim, we need to continue to push the pace. What we're seeing um, Io and Kobe do a lot. But the problem is it's not sustainable because not everybody necessarily flourishes, not everybody on this roster flourishes in that system. Yeah, well, and of course, you're talking about, you know, the double big lineup out there, you know, when trying to have a fast paced, you know, team and you got, you know, the two bigs trying to run the court. But but it, it's kind of paid off for them in certain situations. What what would you say is is the advantage of, of the double big man lineup? Well, I think you saw it last night. Uh, a perfect example is these numbers are not a 100 percent accurate, but so far this season prior to last night, they were 0-2 against Cleveland. And what was the biggest stat that was just glaring that jumped out at you was offensive rebounds for second chance points. I think one game, uh, it was 16 offensive rebounds for 32 second chance points. The other game, it was 13 offensive rebounds for 26 second chance points. And you're like, wait a minute, they're literally scoring on every single offensive rebound. And that was really what jumped out. And there was a difference of 10 to 12 points in each game. And you're like, that's something you have to respond to. Thus, Billy goes with the big lineup last night of Drummond and Vooch. It was, it was effective, and it actually worked out very well, but Vooch, unfortunately, did not have one of his better games. 
and that's ultimately what hurt him. And I'm not saying it's just Vooch. Believe me, it's not just him. But when you think about how they played in that first half, Cleveland had one offensive rebound, one, zero second-chance points. Now, things changed in the second half, but also at the same time we can talk about the Bulls only attempted 83 field goals. they got to be up around 90-plus every single game. But some of that lack of field goal attempts is what happens, as you just mentioned, Gabe, when you go a little bigger, you play a little slower, but at the same time you just cannot let your opponent control the tempo, and that's exactly what Cleveland did throughout the whole game. Well, you, Jason, and Kendall do a great job on a regular basis, but so often you're addressing the same things, and the same things after Bulls' losses are the turnovers. And I just can't fathom how they continue to be as careless with the ball as they tend to be. Last night, 15 turnovers, and that led to 20 points that the Cavaliers converted. Why is that such a chronic problem with this team? And, you know, it's not, it's not consistently a problem, David. It's, it's, they had one turnover in the first quarter. Now, how did Cleveland get back into the game in that second quarter? The Bulls had six turnovers in the second quarter, which Cleveland was able to capitalize on. At the end of the day, as you guys pointed out, this team is enjoyable to watch. I think we now know what this team is. Our talked about, okay, guys, there's 30 games to go. Technically, there was 31 when you include the Memphis game. We're going to evaluate from this point forward. Well, what's happened in those four games? We're two and two. So I think we can – listen, we've known who this team is for a long time. All right? They're basically a 500 team. They're a play-in team. This is who they are. So we obviously know that changes need to be made. Unfortunately, Zach's injury couldn't have been at a worse time. That doesn't mean you can't necessarily do things, but they, they elected to stay pat. They basically talked about how this team is competitive. That is correct. And how this team, you know, will we'll monitor these last 31 games. But at the end of the day, they have such a small room for error, meaning they can shoot great from behind the three-point line, but if they have a lot of turnovers that the other team capitalizes on, they lose. They could possibly only have eight turnovers in a game, but they give up 16 offensive rebounds for 32 second-chance points. You know, just – it's one of those things. They fix one area, and they're leaking oil in the other. They fix that area, and they're leaking oil in the one they fixed prior. It's just, you know, this team is competitive. It is, they are fun to watch, but they they have a lot of weaknesses, and those weaknesses need to be addressed. Yeah, well, things have to go right for the Bulls if they're going to win. I mean, you saw it against the Timberwolves. I mean, you mentioned the Atlanta Hawks game. I mean, they have to be shooting the three ball well. They have to be playing, you know, exceptional defense. Second unit has to play. Everything has to go well in order for them to win. But the reality is they always have a shot because of how hard they play. Um, in the second half of, of the game last night, you kind of saw Donovan Mitchell take over in that third quarter, but it was kind of stopped and called a bit by the Bulls' three-point shooting. And obviously that's been an issue for the last couple of years. Well, when you look at it, right, and, and, and obviously it's, it's taken a, a little bit of a turn, Io and Kobe, you know, shooting well. Is that like a confidence thing, three-point shooting, right? Because they're getting the ball at the court, like you were saying. Billy wants them to play fast. You saw a lot of pull-up threes. Or, or is it just like a part of the game and, and them having them doing it consistently where now it's like, oh, this is a part of our game, so now we, we shoot the three-ball well? I mean, that's still a weakness, bottom line. I mean, you do have guys that can shoot it well. But Booch, unfortunately, you know, when he came to uh, Chicago, remember he had his best year, best se- the season prior was his best season from behind the arc at 40%. 
hasn't come anywhere close to that since he's been in Chicago. I think this year he's shooting less than 30%. You know, you have seen Io step up. You've seen Kobe step up. Um, but it's just it's, – it's not the strength of their games. This is a mid-range team. This is where they get a majority of their points. And because of that, if you hit a, you know, a, a team that's hot on the other end, they may not be playing well, but they're knocking down the three ball. It makes it difficult to win. Well, we've got a minute left. Just curious, when you talk about the breakout players of this year, people obviously point to Kobe White. But Io DeSumo has had a real resurgence. I don't even know if it's a resurgence, but it's the scoring has come, and I didn't expect that. Why do you think he's scoring at a higher rate and, and just taking advantage of those opportunities now? Uh, I think, A, he's putting himself in the right position on the floor. That's doing your homework in the film room. That's knowing the offense. But also that's knowing how the opponent's going to play the game. And knowing that if we run a certain play correctly and we move the ball ahead, meaning to the next guy, to the next guy, and if I'm in this position on the floor, I should be open because of how most teams rotate on defense. Everybody switches. Everybody helps a certain way. And he's finding those open spots. And also the thing that that really has stood out to me the most is what he's doing now from behind the three-point line, catch and shoot much quicker. I'm not saying he had to catch and wind up, but it, the, the actual approach to the shot was much slower. The release was slower. And as you talked about, that's, that's a confidence factor. But it's, and the biggest thing that Io does for me is when we were actually showing some uh, film yesterday in the pregame, he's the guy when we get an offensive re- – I'm sorry, when we get a defensive rebound – He's the guy that's free-throw line extended, clapping his hands, get, at, telling the big or whoever gets the rebound, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. We got to go. We got to go. But he also knows that's his strength, his ability to put it on the deck, get up the speed, and then attack the rim and be able to finish. And I think that's an area where he's also improved. Because, you know, you brought it up, David. I mean, it kind of looked like he plateaued a little bit last year. Mm-hmm. But he went back and he worked on his game. He's worked on his shot. And this is a guy that's, you know, it's just – I like to use the term self-made. He was already good, but at the end of the day, he wasn't a second-round player. For some reason, he slid to the second round. So we didn't necessarily have the expectations, but he's always had these expectations for himself, and he consistently answers the bell. Great stuff, Will. Enjoy the week off. Look forward to talking to you next time. All right, gentlemen, you got it. And that's why I was a little late getting to you. I'm in the airport flying to Desert Springs to a little warmer weather. Enjoy your vacation. Enjoy the trip. No problem. Will Purdue, NBC Sports Chicago analyst. Good stuff on the Bulls. When we come back, we're going to shift gears, go down to Kansas City, and talk to somebody who can give us a firsthand account of the tragedy that happened on Wednesday after the parade where one person was killed, as many as 22 injured uh, in gunfire. Three suspects have been arrested and we'll get the latest from Alex Gold here on Mullen Haw when we come back. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We had over 800 law enforcement officers, Kansas City and other agencies, at the location to keep everyone safe. Because of bad actors, which were very few, this tragedy occurred. Welcome back. It's Mullen Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670. The score. Gabe Ramirez in for Mully today. That was the voice of Kansas City Police Chief Stacy Graves talking about the tragedy at the end of the Chiefs parade on Wednesday. 
One person is dead. 22 are injured. Senseless gunfire. Three suspects have been arrested. Just a tragic ending. A celebration turns into chaos and then tragedy. And we go down to Kansas City. Now joining us on the Circa Sports Illinois hotline is Alex Gold from 610 Sports in Kansas City. Download the Circa Sports app today. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing all right. You know, we're, we're doing all right. Fortunately, uh, when it comes to, to our staff and, and everything that we had planned on the parade route, uh, everybody that we had ties to was able to, to make it out all right. And uh, obviously everybody's just, uh, you know, angry, shocked. Um, you know, that, that that's uh, a big part of the reaction, I, I would say, from a lot of people in Kansas City with what transpired yesterday. Thank you for joining us. The last time we spoke to you, as we did leading up to the Super Bowl, it was Monday and it was a triumphant report and there's obviously a celebration with the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl over the 49ers and everybody looked forward to the parade we wanted to see what Travis Kelsey would say how Patrick Mahomes would act who would be outrageous this year that's what you expect at parades you don't expect to have things turn as quickly as they did you never expect to have what happened happen how would where were you and how how did it unfold from your vantage point there well, it was it was a perfect day prior to the incident. I mean, it was uh, 65 degrees. It's one of the best days of the year, something people look forward to. These parades, school was canceled around the area, so you had families, all sorts of kids out there. And before we were broadcasting, we were on around 10 o'clock Central Time, uh, and the parade wasn't started until about 1045. And so we were further up the parade route than where Union Station is, which is where the, the shooting took place. And so we were on the parade route, and we were joking around because kids were throwing footballs up four, you know, four stories to condos and everybody's cheering on uh, people to catch it on the balcony. And it's just a great time. And it was, it really was a perfect day in KC of celebration. And then to right, I don't know, five minutes after we got off the air and the rally had ended um, to see on grand Boulevard, which is a, a main street of the parade route to see, I don't know, 10, 15, police vehicles, law enforcement vehicles just fly by us. And, you know, first few, you don't think anything of it necessarily. And then after a while, you start to sense, okay, something's going on here. And we were a seven-plus minute walk away from Union Station. But you you could sense something was going on and word quickly traveled, unfortunately, that there was an active shooter situation. Alex, good to talk to you again, brother. Um, You know, for you, like we know shootings happen, right? I mean, these these are things that's part of American culture now, unfortunately. But I think each community responds differently. And clearly here in Chicago, you know, we deal with shootings a lot. And, you know, in our city, I'm curious, what's Kansas City's, you know, response been? What has the, the, the sentiment in the city been? Well, there's certainly a, a lot of love going around today. You know, we uh, our, our show's about to hop on the air here in a little while. And I was listening to our morning show today and listening to so many people uh, react and, and that are so prideful in our city the way I'm sure they are, obviously, in, in Chicago as well. And, and that the some of the stories that are coming out of this from either law enforcement or even chiefs players that there's a lot of a lot of reports out there that chiefs players were comforting children inside of union station that were understandably so terrified and and traumatized and something they're going to have to deal with perhaps for the rest of their their life and seeing that you know andy reed was was comforting this teenage kid who gave this extremely emotional interview on local television because he couldn't find his friends and so there's been a lot of you know, in, in this terrible, terrible situation, there's been a lot of comforting stories to, to, to speaks to how great the people are in Kansas City. Um, and, I, and I used the word shocked earlier, and it's shocking because of the type of day that it was. 
But unfortunately, um, in gun violence in Kansas City, Missouri has been a story. I believe last year was the highest homicide rate in the city. I mean, this is a a city, you know, a lot of people want to say this isn't representative of Kansas City or Kansas City, Missouri. But unfortunately, right now, uh, gun violence is. And it's this way across much of the country as well. And it's it's sickening. It's maddening. They had 800 law enforcement officers. They were prepared. I mean, it was, they had snipers on the buildings. I mean, it wasn't as if this wasn't a prepared uh, city uh, for something to happen. Um, and for, in a matter of seconds, uh, 22 people to be shot and, and at least one person killed. There's reports that perhaps a second uh, has died um, is, is awful. We're talking with Alex Gold from 610 Sports in Kansas City here on the Mullane Haw Show. I have to ask this because it came up in one of the stories and I think it's been addressed and will continue to be discussed. What was the situation in terms of having security checkpoints? There were a million people estimated to be at this parade. How tight was the security? Yes, there were 900 officers there. But was it a, were people able to uh, move around freely without having any type of security checkpoint to worry about? Yeah, there, there was no security checkpoint. You know, there was a huge law enforcement presence, and there was undercover officers, I'm sure, that, that nobody could, could see as well. And you know, they have barricades and things like that. But this is a massive, I think it was a 2.2-mile uh, parade route. And Union Station, for your, for your listeners, that's where the draft was at last year. So if anybody that watched the NFL draft, that setting, that – that building and that hill, the Liberty Memorial, that, that is the area kind of where the, the shooting took place. It is a massive spot. Uh, so, no, there was no security, and that's why, I mean, something we're going to discuss today. I, I don't have the answers to it. We're going to all talk it out today, which is you know, what, what do parades look like in the future? Right. Um, the sad reality, I mean, is this something where you, you are going to need to start having these celebrations in the football stadium at Arrowhead? Uh, where there are metal detectors and some more security in that fashion? I, I don't know, but I you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that took their kids to this parade yesterday um, and are really going to question whether or not it's worth ever bringing their children to a parade, a celebration like this again. Yeah, we were something we were talking a lot about today on the show, Alex, is just, you know, what, what does that look like, you know, moving forward? But I'm curious about you, man. I mean, obviously, you know, you and I have a, have a relationship, personal one. I know, you know, you feel strongly about your state. You, you know, went to Kansas. You, you, you obviously love that area. I'm curious, you know, just... Your personal feelings, you know, having not only lived through that, but knowing that it happened in, in your backyard. You know, it's it's, it's heartbreaking because you're right. I, I grew up here. You know, I've lived here for 90% of my life. Um, and everybody is so prideful about the city, specific, specifically right now. You know, a lot of it is on the sports end, and that's how people – that's why we were talking to you guys all last week. But this city is kind of on a, on a heater right now. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of pride. Brand, brand new airport. The draft was here. The Chiefs' momentum. They're going to build a new downtown ballpark. The first women's professional soccer team is being built. The World Cup is going to have six matches here in Kansas City. There's a feeling of a, a ton of momentum and movement and to have an event like this happen to bring a, a terrible spotlight on the city. I think it's heartbreaking for, for me and, and for so many of us in Kansas city. Um, and so, you know, my reaction is, is kind of that and knowing that um, unfortunately this is something that uh, truly can happen anywhere, you know, and, and, you know, we used to say, Oh, I can't believe this happened, but it can happen anywhere. I mean, it, we, we all know it's, happened at schools and, and places of worship and movie theaters. And, and now it's happened at a, a parade, a celebration that one of the happiest days you can possibly have as a city. And it didn't matter. And it still uh, had a few individuals that decided pulling out a gun was the best course of action and without any regard to other people's lives. And it's sickening. Well put, Alex. Take care of yourself. We appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, guys. 
Alex Gold from 610 Sports in Kansas City. Chilling account. Sad to hear that in his voice, somebody who's from that city has lived through that, covered that story, and going to have to continue to discuss it on a daily basis because in a community like that, tight-knit city, proud of who they are and where they're headed, that's got to be something that is just very difficult to process and get past. It's where you are. No, it's not a, a Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation thing in this kind of a scenario. You know someone that was affected by it, by it immediately, and you know you do feel bad for you know someone like that who mentions. And, and I felt him when he said, "Hey, man, we had a, we have a, a snowball growing, and for something like this to happen, you you can you can certain certainly sympathize with him." They were celebrating the Chiefs' Super Bowl title over the 49ers in a victory Sunday in Las Vegas. Stacey Dales was there covering it for the NFL Network. We will talk to Stacey next. Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Stacey Dales, NFL Network correspondent. Doing great. Good morning, everybody. Breaking down the Bears beat news around the NFL. And I live in Chicago, and I do the score radio, a uh, little plug there. Sure. Every week. Shout out to the host. This has been an emotional freaking roller coaster, you guys. Former WNBA star. And the ball stolen away. Didn't see her coming, and Perkins gets the clean steal over to Dales. Easy land. Stacey Dales off a beautiful feed from Elaine Powell. Stacey Dales with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. Welcome back. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Having a good morning this morning. Gabe Ramirez in for Mully talking about a little bit of everything. Cub Sox. Talked about the Kansas City Chiefs parade tragedy. We talked about the Bulls losing last night. And now we're going to talk about the Super Bowl with Stacey Dales from the NFL Network. Joining us now on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, CircaLasVegas.com. Good morning, Stacey. How are you? Good morning, David uh, and Gabe. I'm, I'm actually just really sad because uh, of what transpired yesterday. And um, it's hard to make sense of it. You know, you have a, an incredible moment at the Super Bowl and I, I apologize for my uh, nasal sound because I, I think I'm getting a bit of a cold after the long season, but mm-hmm. um, it just was senseless yesterday, and I, it's hard to uh, pick up the pieces after what happened. Well, I appreciate that, Stacey. That's honest, and I think it's a way a lot of people feel this morning, a little bit mixed, because you're just coming off the high of covering a Super Bowl championship by the Chiefs, and then you're having yeah. to – you know, very quickly, that that's it's tragic, and you don't go to a parade expecting to uh, cover a shooting like that. One dead, twenty-two injured in the shooting. Just curious, as we discussed this this morning, and we just talked to mm-hmm. Alex Gold from Six Ten Sports in Kansas City. How do you feel this will affect the future of championship parades, if it will at all? Because we heard from Brittany Mahomes, and this will change the way Super Bowls wins feel moving forward. And you do wonder about the next one, whether it's an NHL mm-hmm. team or NBA team in June or July. How do you think this will affect that, that tradition? Uh, it's, it's hard to imagine, David, that it will because, you know, this, this has never happened, right? Mm-hmm. After a celebration of this magnitude and – um. So I, I try not to, like, take my mind there, but uh, I don't know. I'm at a loss for words, to be honest, because 
when you when you consider the magnitude of this and the celebration and you know I lost my brother a, a month ago and I'm struggling with it mm-hmm. and like I I it's it's just hard to put together words when it comes to something like this and no, I know, Stacy. And look, condolences for your loss. We know what you were going through, and really appreciate your courage yeah. in coming on. And, and I don't want to go there necessarily if that's not where you want to go. I do think it's something that will be part of the discussion. It will be part of the aftermath. I mean, what I will agree. teams do, yeah. and what is the responsible thing to do for communities? Because um, it didn't lead to a tragedy, but there was a shooting after the Nuggets celebration last June in Denver and there will be concerns by local officials and liabilities that they have to consider and just the just the exposure that people will will feel so yes this is going to be difficult to process and deal with and and Kansas City will do its best because it's a proud community and it hasn't happened before to this degree so we wish them well let's talk football so you covered the 49ers and now we have now we have the Reality that Kyle Shanahan wears the label <laughs> of being the best coach to never win a Super Bowl. He's fired yeah. his defensive coordinator. Steve Wilkes is a scapegoat. His fault, I guess. What was what was your surprise level at number one? Steve Wilkes getting fired at number two. Kyle Shanahan taking the ball in overtime. Yeah, I wasn't surprised actually. Uh, I love Steve Wilkes, but um, when they moved him from David. The uh, basically up top to down below. Um, so they had a transition midseason. Basically, uh, you know, putting him on the field with the players. Like it was a total scheme disaster, basically. Uh, so, I, like, I wasn't shocked by that. I was more shocked by the fact that um, for the 49ers, they didn't win. Like, you know, you're finally back. And I spent the entire week with them. Like, it, I was incredibly impressed with their energy, their confidence. Like, I, I really firmly believed they were going to win going into that game. But, like, you can't pick against Patrick Mahomes. Like, it's, he's, he's the Michael Jordan of this day and age, you know. And I really felt like between he and Kelsey, the storyline was so glamorous that the 49ers literally could not overcome it. And I just felt going into the game, I would say like 15 minutes before the, before kickoff, the 49ers weren't going to win just because of the glamour of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And, and it's actually what happened. Shocking. And that's the thing I've been saying it leading up to the Super Bowl. Just, you know, you learn from Tom Brady. It's just you shouldn't bet against greatness. I guess the big question for me following the Super Bowl, Stacey, is is this going to be a situation where, like, Tom Brady, where then next year comes and everyone doubts the Kansas City Chiefs <laughs> again and then they just prove everyone wrong? I, I, Gabe, I completely agree with you. Like, I, it's you cannot pick against Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> like, you just can't. I, the irony is, like, I'm in Vegas, right? And we don't bet. We don't, like, gamble in the NFL. Like, we're not allowed to. I was not allowed to play a slot machine. But, like, you cannot pick against Patrick Mahomes. So, next year, if they're in it, you have to pick the Chiefs. Like, it's inevitable. It's – it's. <laughs> 
to me, like, when you're around Patrick Mahomes, like, there's an aura. And I would say Andy Reid as well. Like, there's an aura about them. It's like Phil Jackson and, and you know, Michael Jordan. Hmm. Like, that's, that's, to me, what the Kansas City Chiefs are now. Stacey, so like what can teams like the Bear, like the Bears, right? They, they, you know, when you say things like, and we all agree, right? Like don't bet against Patrick Mahomes. He is going to be there. So what can teams <laughs> like the Bears or like any other team in the AFC do to try to, you know, combat what is happening right now in Kansas City? Well, I mean, like, so when I look at the Bears, Ryan Poles, right? He was part of drafting Patrick Mahomes. So I, I really do feel like the Bears are going to draft a quarterback. and the most interesting part of I would say Ryan Poles right now is like, what was that process like when he fell in love with Patrick Mahomes with Brett Beach and the entire organization in Kansas city, because they had basically, they had fallen in love with Patrick Mahomes back into his high school days. So I am very curious to know which quarterback the bears have fallen in love with, like who has Ryan Poles and Ian Cunningham who have they targeted, you know, uh, going into this draft process? I, I'll be at the Combine in a week and a half, and it's going to be really, I, I, like, fascinating to see which quarterback they have really – is it is it Caleb Williams? Like, I don't know how you guys think, but, I mean, who have they sat down with and fallen in love with for not just the last year, but, like, really – the last five years, because that's what, that's what these evaluators do. They go back, they go into, you know, the history books with these guys. And I'm just really curious to know which quarterback it is. I think Caleb Williams had him at hello. <laughs> I think he's going to have him at hello, Stacy, because right? it's, it's easy to fall in love with that kind of accuracy, that kind of ingenuity, that kind of improvisational skills. Look, I understand they might find out that, you know, he once insulted uh, his prom date or maybe he was <laughs> this rude. And, boy, he that, that fingernail polish color was a bad choice fashion-wise. Right? But come on. The guy, the kid can play. I think that's going to be the conclusion, and I think it's going to be an overwhelming conclusion that he is the guy, and they are going to say, we fell in love with him the first time we saw him on tape. Right. Yeah, but, like, Patrick Mahomes is so gifted. Who would have thought that way back when mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes was the target? Right? John Dorsey? Like, John Dorsey? Yeah. Yeah. Tenth overall pick, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of alarming, like, when you think about how a quarterback can fall like that. Mitch Trubisky went before him. And the evaluators in Kansas City nailed it. So, like, what is happening in Chicago? Is it Jaden Daniels? Is it Drake May? Is it Caleb Williams? I mean, I like, in my preparation for the Combine, David and Gabe, like, I, I literally, I put together probably 75 cards on every, all the top players. And I kind of marry it with our, our guy, um, Daniel Jeremiah, who's incredible. Like, he's a great evaluator and I marry it with that. And like, I am wondering now, there's so many quarterbacks at the top of the list. <laughs> like, which one do the Bears like? Because 
when I when I've talked to Bears officials this past season, they have met with every single one of them and they have spent time with every single one of them and they are doing their due diligence and rightfully so. And like the, 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 the craziest thing to me is the fact that people think the bears are not drafting a quarterback like that. That's crazy to me. Mm -hmm. There's no debate, right? No I don't believe there is. Like, I, I mean, I, I, Justin Fields is awesome, but like, he has ten wins in three years. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's why. So, well, that's why what you say, Stacey, is is interesting, right? Because it, it that that is the mystery. What are the Bears going to fall in love with? Is it pocket presence and quick release? Is it arm right? angles and and incredible throws? But in your opinion, what should the Bears be falling in love with? Um. In my opinion, it's winning. It's it's um, taking care of the football, like simple things, the things that like like Patrick Mahomes. When you look at his playoff run, he didn't turn the ball over one time. Like he had zero interceptions. In fact, like this past season, he had the most interceptions in his career during the regular season. But he didn't do it in the playoffs. Like. It's simple things like that, like the ability to possess the football in playoff football. I mean, you know, the things that like throwing into tight windows, maturity at the position, being able to process like every single week, being able to process what the defense does and capitalizing on it. Like those are things that when I look at quarterbacks now, like I, I'm, I'm watching all these videos, YouTubing all the quarterbacks. I look at their presence. I look at how they speak. My favorite quarterback coming out last year was, there, there were two actually, Anthony Richardson and CJ Stroud. Their presence was so profound when I listened to them. And so I'm looking at, when I go into the combine, I'm looking at who's real, who is sincere, what genuine qualities do these guys possess? Because I think like when you look at somebody like Patrick Mahomes, like obviously he's got it, but it's there, there's an uncanny presence about them that speaks to you. And so I think like Ryan Poles in his meetings, like he's sitting down with these players and he's looking at them and listening to them. And I think he's probably looking for similar things. Stacy, speaking of greatness, Need to ask you about this, given your background. People know you as an NFL Network reporter. Maybe they forget that you were quite an accomplished basketball player in the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, played for the Chicago Sky. Caitlin Clark is about to make history tonight. She is mm-hmm. eight points shy of breaking the all-time NCAA record. Home game for Iowa against Michigan. It's on the Peacock Network because she is instant – Ratings. She is the yeah. biggest attraction in college sports. How do you put into perspective what she has accomplished and what do you think of her game? I think she's incredible. Um, I will give a shout out to my Sooners of beating Baylor uh, <laughs> last night. So you teed me up. Of so course. Thanks for, of course. Thanks for channeling You're me welcome. there, David. You're welcome. Um, Caitlin Clark is incredible. Um, I, I was really disappointed with Cheryl Swoops actually um a couple weeks ago when all that came out like she's not deserving of all the records she's nailed and this and that like 
you know, when Cheryl Swoops was a baller back in like the early 90s, I was lured to the Big 12 because Texas Tech, Marsha Sharp, Cheryl Swoops, like they had won a national championship. I don't know if it was 93, but um, I was like, I got to go play in that conference. Now you're seeing players want to go play in the Big Ten, right? I mean, Iowa, um, Coach Bluter, like, Coach Bluter is amazing. And she gets a player like Caitlin Clark, and now she's known. So now more players are going to go to that conference. More players want to play, want to go to a team that was nothing at a, a certain point. So, like, to me, when I think about, like, Caitlin Clark, I think of, like, putting Iowa on the map. And now players want to go play there. And that changes the trajectory, if you will, of how women's basketball players coming up in the system want to go play at different places. That's how you get parity. So, for me, that's, like, that's the impact that Caitlin Clark has. Stacey, do you think a lot of people talking that, you know, she could potentially come back next year? Uh, just because, you know, NIL money, make more than she would in the WNBA. Uh, do you think she'll just go ahead and, and start a professional career? Or do you think she'll come back for one more? Oh, yeah, I think she's going to the WNBA. And, in fact, like, I think that um, it's it's silly that WNBA players can't go um, to the WNBA. Uh, excuse me, college players can't go to the WNBA when they want to. Right. Like, men's right. players can, women's players can't. Like, it's it's stupid. Honestly, so I, I I get the NIL thing. Like, trust me, back when I played, <laughs> yeah, if I could have made some a little bit of cash, like I I was uh you know, I went to Oklahoma when I was seventeen and I had no money and I never asked my parents for a dime and our per diem was not significant. So I'll just say that. <laughs> And the Indiana Fever already counting on her season tickets. So she's going to Indy, baby. She's going to be a member of the Indiana Fever first overall pick. Well, you know what? I, we're not far. I'll go watch her play because she's that good. Me too. I'm all over that. Stacy. you are the best. Thank you so much. Get your rest. You certainly have earned it. We always appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Start boning up for the combine because it'll be here before you know it. I love you guys. Thanks, Appreciate Stacey. you. Stacey Dales from the NFL Network. Quite an accomplished women's basketball player. Played in the Olympics. Yeah, I saw her. Played in the Olympics, saw, Gabe. Think that, about that. Uh, Oklahoma put, has a nice little, you know, life-size picture of her out yes. there and everything. I mean, you forget. By you the forget. way, Dustin informs us, and this is good information. We talk about Caitlin Clark tonight, Iowa, Michigan, on the Peacock Network. She's going to make history. She, all she needs is eight points. That's like the first quarter, right? Cut three three-pointers. So. Cheapest ticket for Michigan. Oh, let Iowa. me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. All right. Cheapest. How? How? I'm trying to think. How many people? How many people fit in the stadium? Probably like ten. So I'm going to say eight hundred bucks. Oh man, you're, that's overshooting it. It's the game Iowa. is in Michigan, by the way. It's not at Iowa. Oh, that, okay. that makes a difference. That does. That's why. That's why I overshot it. I thought you said Iowa. Wait a second. No. 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 I think the game's at Iowa. I think the game is at Iowa. Uh, Dustin, re, re, number four, Iowa at Michigan tonight. <laughs> Iowa hosts Michigan. I'm looking at it in, in MLive.com. Michigan hosts Iowa. At, at Iowa. Michigan hosts Iowa. I'm sorry. Iowa hosts Iowa hosts Michigan. And now we're really confused. No, okay. no, no. I got this, it. I got it right here. It's at Iowa. <laughs> it's at Iowa. Yeah. I got it. It's at Iowa. It's a home game. Well, then it should be $500 to get in. 
It's a home game. They've all seen her. It's I a lot of corn. I mean, that's a – okay, no, I'm going to get back to the facts because I want to stick with the facts here. Ticketmaster, 285. StubHub, 251. Vivid Seats, 237. Not bad. SeatGeek, 217. The average price for a ticket at the University of Iowa tonight, when Caitlin Clark makes history, the average price, $400. That's low. <laughs> Think about That's what low. you're saying here. $400 for a college women's basketball game? That's to, a ton of money. They need to husk some more corn and get some more money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, only I can make corn jokes about Midwestern states. Oh, my bad. Okay? My bad, my bad. You can't do that, city guy. <laughs> my bad. I live in Oklahoma. You have now. never detasseled corn in your life, have you? <laughs> Not once. Okay, no, I can tell you stories. Detasseled? No, no, I haven't. <laughs> See? You're going to look it up. No, if it's not in a cup and a short Mexican man ain't putting some cheese and some sour cream on it, I ain't with it. He's Gabe Ramirez. He's in for Mully. Mully and Hall. We'll wrap it up when we come back. Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Why not us, right? Welcome back. Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Mully and Hall. Gabe in for Mully today. Thank you, Pedro Gafol, for giving us a little bit of a chuckle. Why not us? Well, there are multiple reasons why it won't be them. (laughs) Come on. But we don't need it's to elaborate. It's a rhetorical. It's you, not like a. You don't have to be Pakoda to be uh, confident that the White Sox are not going to play in the postseason this year. I mean, okay, you you got a little Pedro in you. You did wear a Sox jersey or coat. Or coat. coat. I'm sorry, you got your jerseys for tomorrow. <laughs> I got to be honest. I almost pulled out the jersey. Which one would South you wear? Jersey. If it you was, wear it tomorrow, Southside. I'm gonna not tomorrow. I'm going to wear the all white with black black pinstripes. Sweet. Yeah. Who's on the back? Ozzy? Nope. Nobody. I got it for, I, I did something with Lollapalooza for, with the White Sox and they gave me a jersey. You got so many bosses. <laughs> I do. You have so my many wife, gigs. My wife's at the you top. You are of everywhere. I was just going to say. Got to make money, guys. I love it. You are a hustler. I, <laughs> although you are such a hustler, I can't believe that you never detasseled corn. Dude, detasseling corn is like, when I hear that, first of all. You, did, did you know what I was talking about? No. Detasseling? No. Detangling? Sure. I love that we got a couple texts on the matter. I love that we got from 262. Detasseling corn was my first job at 13. Is shucking corn a bad word? Um, I don't really. Okay. Shuck so, corn is what you do before you eat it. Detasseling corn is what you do in the fields to make sure that the crops grow properly. Oh, so wait. Detasseling has nothing to do with like taking the, the husk off the corn? No. <laughs> I, you're, okay. you're going through. To you're detasseling the corn. Every morning, I, I had the job at 13, just like our texter, Hugh Seed Farm in Hampshire. Thanks for listening. I grew up in a small town. I'll make it quick because I think some people have heard this story before. Worked at 13, you tasseled corn, you meet at 5 o'clock in the morning, you go out to the farm uh, that you're going to be working that day, you wear a hefty bag, <laughs> you put it over your body. Sounds horrible. Because it's going to be wet in the cornfield. You get in the machine. You stand there, you go down the rows of corn, and you just start detasseling corn, Gabe, just like one after another. See on the Twitch stream? And it's just, you go down one row, and then you go down the next. And then you go down another row, and then you go down the next. And then you have to go to school? No, it's July. Oh, summer jobs. Summer job. Well, I'm thinking like Hicktown, like, you know, small, you know, Did you just call my hometown a Hicktown? No, no, no. I'm saying I'm thinking in my head, like something like that. I think you just did. 
And I'm thinking about like he said Hick. I think he just said Hicktown. <laughs> and I'm thinking like a young David Hall before you school. You are welcome in North wearing, Jackson, Indiana. Wearing overalls and like shredded jeans at the bottom, <laughs> detangling, detasseling corners. I never owned a pair of overalls <laughs> past the age of seven. Wearing a garbage bag. I about, did wear a garbage bag. Hey, Ma, I'll be back. Will you have my porridge I bet you ready? Gabe owned a pair of overalls that were shorts that he wore I one did. overall up and one overall yes, down. I did, because okay, I was cool okay, then. Yeah. And I, I was, did you call it a cool. jumper? Were you, were, did you wear no, a jumper? I, I listened to Crisscross and I watched, and I wore those those things. That's what, that's, what I, that's what you did. Well, when you were listening to Crisscross and dressing for all your, you know, your audience that you had probably after the age of 12, you probably had an, always had an audience. Always trying to impress the, the, the ladies. <clears throat> I was in a cornfield chucking the tasseling corn with a hefty bag Going and school. a hat backward and my sunglasses so I didn't give – and I had my farmer's tan. And walking eight miles to school? I did not walk pail. eight miles to school. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating this. The tasseling corn was a great way to make money when you're a teenager. So I had money to spend on the sporting news subscription that I love, baseball cards that I still have. So, yeah, that was my summer job. Explain why you wear the garbage bag, because the corn leaves will cut you. That, too. Yes. 702, I'm speaking to my people. Thank you. Look at these. Everyone's got a little little uh, experience there. 563, you had a machine, David? I had to walk. You were lucky. I walked, too. The machine was for you had to walk through the rows first. Then you got to a certain level of expertise, detasseling, and then you were allowed to go into the machine because it went faster, mm. more efficient for the farmers. Little, 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 little bump in pay because you got to run little the bump in pay maybe. <laughs> Listen, when you are 13 years old and you live in a small town, you'll do a lot of things for a little spending money in the summer. Hey, did you wear key overalls, David? Ha <laughs> I did not wear overalls. I don't own overalls. That's Gabe C. <laughs> You got people now picturing me in overalls. Everybody is. Flag and anthem could send you a nice pair. <laughs> I wonder if they do make overalls. Now, I would wear, I will wear flag and anthem overalls if they make them and send them to me. I will definitely wear them proudly and I will wear them on the Twitch stream. Yeah, you and Molly take a picture together. I didn't, I'm um, not speaking for Molly. <laughs> you guys, that'll be the next shoot. Thermal. Thermal overalls from Flag and Anthem, by, uh, brought are, to you by Mully and We are getting all kinds of feedback on the detasseling and stuff. I didn't, again, I, I think about, like, you know, because me as a kid growing up in the city, like, my my summer jobs were, you know, sweeping the corner store or, like, okay. passing out flyers downtown for, like, a jewelry store, you know? That's that's what I did. That's good work. Yeah. That's, that's honest That's honest work. Yeah, that's gotta, hard work. got to have those things. You got to have those things. I, I don't know how much you. I don't know if you'd have been able to pay me enough to go into a field of corn at like five in the morning. Oh, dark. there's something peaceful about it, Gabe. There's something very serene about being. But it's not like you were high smoking weed. Like that's if you were high and in the field and doing that at five. Gabe, yeah, I was 13. Yeah. Man. That's what I'm saying, though. I don't know what you were doing at 13. No, no, but I definitely I wasn't. wasn't doing that. But I'm saying like that's a, that's where I can understand that being peaceful. But like as a young 13 year old, I want to go play. You see, that was the thing. You just did what you had to do. Mm. And it was a part of the thing. I, you know, we worked from five until noon, right? So you work till noon because I had stuff to do or people had, then you go home, you have lunch. You're a teenager. You got all kinds of energy. Then you go to say baseball practice. I was going to say you're a college athlete. You had to have been playing sports. Then you go to, you have dinner and you go to football practice. Hmm. You play three sports in a small town. Yeah, definitely. You do it all in the summer, but you start the day. 
with a hefty bag over your body. <laughs> I love it. Detasseling corn. I, I forget what the rate was. Farmer but, Hall. That's what they're calling on the text line. Farmer Hall. I did. I didn't grow up at a farm. I like it. Now there I is like a. It. There, right now, my mom still lives in North Jetson, Indiana, and across the street from her, when she gets the mail, there's a giant cornfield. So mm. when I go home to see her, yes, there is definitely I'm surrounded. You grab a couple just to go have. You know, no, I don't. Not for old time's sake, no. no. Did it make you hate corn? Absolutely not. I love popcorn. I love corn on the cob. I would go home from a day of detasseling corn because it's it's seed corn, not it's feed corn. You don't eat it, so it's it's different. I'd never minded corn. I, I always loved corn on the cob. Who doesn't love corn on the cob? Corn pudding, cornbread. Baling hay, 309. That's a farm guy. Yes, a baled hay too. I weeded mint. You know, I weeded mint. Dude, farmer Hall's Game, my favorite. You have taken me down people this talk, tangent. People talking about Vegas Hall? Nah. You want to hang out with Farmer Hall. Okay. Really, really get crazy. Farmer Hall weeded mint because mint... <laughs> In Stark County was the mint capital of America. Per capita, really? the largest producer of mint. You know, mint candies, sure. mint oil, mojitos. all kinds. Of, yes, mojitos. So mint juleps. Mint juleps. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to grow somewhere. Where do you think that mint comes from? The ground. So you grow it in places like Stark County, Indiana, home sweet home. But those fields have weeds in the mint. So they need to have people who go out into those fields back in the day. And chop out the weeds to get the so the mint will grow. That was me. So, so you you graduate from being a detasseler to maybe going to work in a farm and weeding mint and bean fields. That's the uh, you didn't know that, did you? That's the corporate ladder. I'm trying to avoid. That, but I gotta be honest with you. I will never be unemployed. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. My my job. My resume from the time I was 13 years old to probably 19 years old, I can do it all. I was a spot welder. Oh, my God. I was a shrink wrapper. I did it all. You had to. Come on, Gabe. I I like it, man. That's why you're as well-rounded as you are now. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly why. What were we talking about? Baseball. Oh, yeah. Good old baseball. Pedro Grafol talked yesterday. Craig Council spoke yesterday. What are we going to get today from the Cubs? You you kind of chided me. Let's 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 talk about the Cody Bellinger situation. You think that any confidence that the Cubs will still sign Cody Bellinger is misguided, misplaced? I think, David, that even with the signing of Bellinger, you could argue that this year's team isn't as good as last year's. Even with Bellinger, even if they resign him at the last minute. Because your argument, your counter argument to that is the manager will make them better. And I think that the fan base should want the team to be better for council to then, you know, take to a totally different level. I think that's what they should be wanting. And so the Bellinger thing, it could be inevitable, you know, but I still, I still think I'd be concerned as a Cubs fan. I think what I said when they hired Craig council was that we know that he can do more with less because that's the way they want in Milwaukee. Now it's going to be fun to see him do more with more. And now we're still waiting for the more part. Because right now, let's, let's be honest, I think when you talk about the, the Cubs' confidence in their younger players, their minor league system, which I think objectively, Major League Baseball believes the Cubs have one of the best farm systems in the game. So right now, you could see what Craig Council has as we speak, similar situation that he had in Milwaukee. Respected farm system, promising prospects, Major League holes on the roster, 
but a faith that the manager is going to find a way to make that team competitive. Now, that's the Milwaukee version of council. What you expected the Cubs version of council to be was not to have those holes at the major league roster to supplement the highly priced and paid talent with minor league prospects that have developed and watch them win. I look at last year's offseason and the additions that the Cubs made, and if you would have told me then that, hey, next offseason, there's going to be minimal moves, I would be disappointed. Because the assumption for me last year was that they were now snowballing into being a team that can compete for a World Series year in and year out. Mm -hmm. And a snowball, by definition, as it's going downhill and growing steam and getting bigger, is adding to it. And the addition of Craig Council is great. It's a nice little piece that you've slapped onto the side of that snowball, but you need that whole thing to roll. And I think Craig Council would like a little bit more, a couple more pieces as well. I think he probably would. He's never going to say that. I think that going into this offseason, and you go way back to the day after the last Cub game, after you were kind of regrouping as a Cub fan because of the way they choked down the stretch, you were still kind of buoyed by the hope that maybe, and it was a pipe dream, Otani is there. Now, you didn't get Otani, but you did hire Craig Council. To a lot of people, that was like, all right, you can still have a good offseason. I was on record as saying this can still be a good offseason for the Cubs, even though you don't get Otani. I'm still waiting for the, that to be true. Right now, it's not been a good offseason. I think that you can look at Hector Neris and say that, yeah, that's a very good addition to the bullpen. But I don't know if it's enough. And I don't think that your lineup is complete. So I'm still anxious that they uh, you have a degree of anxiety about what they don't have. But I'm still looking at the calendar and not worried or panicked yet. <laughs> that is the optimistic Cubs fan right there uh, saying something like that. I, 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 I mean, I get it. There's still time. And then you can certainly you know, live there. I think that uh, you know the Cubs themselves with the additions that they've made, I, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people wanted – because if you look at the the youth that they have, David, who do you or what like what kind of players is that then turning into? If we're looking at the holes of the Chicago Cubs and saying, but they have young guys, they tried that last year, tried injecting those guys into the lineup, the Jared Youngs, the Matt Murphys, the Pete Armstrongs, to try to get something going. So then who do those young people then become? Is it a starting pitcher? Is it another position player? Because that's what you really have to ask yourself. You can't just go in and say, well, we got a really great, you know, farm system. Okay, well, what do you want that to turn into? That's a really good point, and I think it will, what will happen is if they swing and miss on Cody Bellinger, then they'll go into this offseason trying to keep things together, stay afloat, and be competitive while getting closer to the trade deadline when they can package some of those prospects for a difference-making bat. Yeah. And if they can do that, that's the value of having a manager you trust to win games you shouldn't and who's very good in one-run games that – you know, are prevalent all over Major League Baseball. And then you're still in a position to go out and be competitive for the most desired hitter on the market. I don't know who that is. I don't know if that'll happen. And that is definitely plan B or C or D. Or maybe Matt Shaw, the third baseman that everyone's talking about, is starts out, you know, hitting 400 at every level. And you got to bring him up in July. And he can join Cade Horton on the on the commute from Iowa. And then all of a sudden you've got the young Cubs. 
You're laughing at me. I am. Okay, that's a little bit carried away. But I do think your idea of packaging prospects for a major league hitter is something that would be a viable option if they don't get belly. It, 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 I mean, they have no other choice. They have too much talent, too many people blocking the path to the bigs. So why not package those people to bring someone that can help you in the present? It's a good point. We'll keep an eye on the Cody Bellinger watch, and we'll hear more from the Cubs and the White Sox in Arizona as spring tra- training continues the second day of pitchers and catchers being on hand. And right now, you can be the sixth caller to the scores contest line, 312-540-0670, and you can win a pair of tickets to see. you got to tell me if this is a good concert, Gabe. Santana with Counting Crows. Are you kidding me? That's an amazing concert. It's a great concert, isn't oh my it? God. Even I know that. Saturday, June 29th, Credit Union 1 Amphitheater, Tinley Park. Great place to watch a concert. Tickets at LiveNation.com. They're on sale tomorrow at 10 a.m. Santana with Counting Crows. Be the sixth caller to the Scores Contest line, 312-540-0670. Transition with Dan and Lawrence when we come back. Gabe Ramirez in for Molly, Molly and Haw. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.